Jim Cornette's Vince McMahon omnibus starting right now. Well, Jim, let's get to another question. And this is another very popular uh, topic that many another, people. Another popular to- popular topic? A very popular topic. A that very many popular people, topic. Many people have sent the questions about it on Twitter. Do you, do you pop out at parties? Are you unpopular? Many people have sent the questions in various fashion to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com, but we'll use one from Twitter here. This was sent in on Twitter using the hashtag cornydrivethrough from Heel Champa. What are your thoughts on the news that WWE sent Keith Lee back to the Performance Center? I thought Lee's work and agility were amazing considering his size, but I would like to hear your take on this one and... We've received a ton of questions about this. I have an article pulled up, too. Apparently, Keith Okay, Lee- well, f- fill us all in. For those of us who do not live and die by this information, fill us in exactly what's going on here. Well, let me just ask you before I go forward. Do you know anything about this already? I do not know anything about Keith Lee. Okay. Uh, so, no. Well, here's an article. I'll pull it up from the Wrestling Observer. I site. thought he had just he had just gone to the main roster, right? Did they just send him back? He did. Well, here's the article. Uh, this one's from the Wrestling Observer site. Uh, not written by Dave. Uh, someone else wrote this. Josh Nason. As reported by Dave Meltzer in this week's Wrestling Observer newsletter, WWE chairman Vince McMahon recently, quote, threw a fit about the working ability of certain main roster talent ordering some of those in his crosshairs to do additional training at the Performance Center. Meltzer noted, in particular, some of the talent that drew McMahon's ire are of the larger variety. PW Insider's Mike Johnson put some names to that on Friday, reporting Keith Lee, Otis, Dabo Cato, Dio Madden, and Omos, I think that's how you pronounce that. Omos? Is it almost? AJ Styles' bodyguard almost almost are among those who are taking classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays with Adam Pierce and Drew Gulak. Arturo Ruas was another wrestler that is believed to need additional work, but he is currently injured. Following his NXT championship loss to Carrying Cross, Lee was called up after SummerSlam and immediately began a feud with Randy Orton. He has been a fixture on Raw, but recently made his main event debut in a win against Angel Garza. Okay, but so so he hasn't been sent back. He's not to, back at NXT, but he's to taking NXT classes. or developmental, but he's back. Okay, well, there's several things. Number one, that was not unusual with uh, with guys in the OVW days. That guys would be, I mean, not guys that have been on the roster for you know main roster for years would suddenly be splitting their time between both. But guys who had been brought up. Would still there'd be a transition period sometime, or maybe they'd say, "Well, hey, we'll have them hang out in Louisville the three days a week, or whatever, and still go to class." But uh, so that's not this is not revolutionary. Secondly, obviously nobody's saying that Keith Lee and Dabakato and Famous Amos and and uh, all of those people are at the same 
level of experience or or talent or uh, the amount of progress in their in-ring career, whatever the fuck, they're not at the same level. But what I'm seeing here, especially since a lot of it is big guys, is Vince. I'm just trying to read the the mental telepathy that he sends out. That's how he used to tell us how to do a lot of things by mental telepathy, and we wouldn't pick up on it. And then he'd say, "God damn it, I wanted it th- done this way." <clears throat> he doesn't think any of these big guys can work like big guys and get over like big guys anymore. And so he's probably, it probably he might have seen something that one or two guys did, and just said, "You know what? <laughs> All these guys." Make sure they're having a class with Adam Pierce. Tell them how to work like fucking giants. That is, that's as possible as anything. And, and uh, also it's, it, the way that they have phrased that not happy with their work. It's because it's so, it's such a one dimensional way to, to write this article. Cause they don't really understand the difference. Vince is not talking about, I'm sure that he feels that Keith Lee's, power slam is just wonderful and his splash off the top rope is great and doesn't hurt anybody or whatever he's not talking about teach these guys well maybe in Dabakato's case we haven't seen much of him i don't know how he is maybe but and otis otis is a guy we said wow look at some of the things he's done which has probably come back to bite him in the ass because that guy shouldn't do a lot of the things he can do unless it may be the main event at wrestlemania um but he's not having them teach them more moves or how to do the moves better or perform the moves, which is what a lot of people think when they hear teach him how to work. We've said before, Keith Lee is an amazing athlete, but he works with some guys that are 150 pounds lighter than he is. Like it's, it's equal, like it's even, like it's supposed to be even. I, I you know, and, and I've, we've said that on several occasions that he is has the potential to be a huge star, but that he needs to be a more fearsome giant. Maybe Vince don't like that cheerful, you know, uh, Frazier Crane delivery. I don't fucking know, but that's what probably I would have to say if they're giving him to Adam Pierce and who else did you say? Um, Drew Gulak. I've not haven't met Drew, but if they're giving to, giving him to Adam Pierce. He's wanting them. Vince is wanting to teach them more thought about what they're doing and why and what they should do and shouldn't and how to get over as big guys and as impressive big guys. And in that vein, that's what they're, they're doing. And I can't say that, that, that shouldn't be done, but I'm, I can pretty much guarantee you that, that Vince just saw one guy maybe do and just said, I've had enough. Because I've seen this all over the place and blah, blah, blah. And these guys need to learn how to fucking work. And if there's one thing we know Vince loves is big guys. Yes, he. Th- these are guys that he will, if if they give him anything, he'll make them a million fucking dollars. Because he's predisposed to like them already, but they can't go out there and have. Didn't we see Keith Lee at one point working fairly competitively with Johnny Sameface on NXT? He did, but but you can't blame him for that if they're putting him in there with Johnny Sameface and they're telling him, you know, he's a main event guy. You have to work with him like he's 
the size well, of Damian Priest. And that's why Vince is sending them back down. Cause that, that's, I didn't say they were teaching them right. You know, that's what the, the, uh, unnamed AEW guys said, we're doing what we were taught. Who fucking taught you this shit? That's the fault of the inexperienced promoter and booker allowing him to uh, himself to be misled on talent. If they come from schools where they were taught to do all that shit, they didn't come from very good fucking schools. I can say that as, as, as someone who personally had a hand in training, most of the big stars in the WWE, the last 20 years, I not only can never remember teaching someone how to do a dive outside the ring. I can't remember ever calling one in a finish. And all those guys made millions of dollars. So I don't know what schools all these people are going to. This next one was sent to corny drive through at gmail.com from Roberto Rivera. My question for you, Jim, is what is the single worst thing Vince McMahon has ever done to professional wrestling that has been a detriment to the business? Oh, come on. Just off the top of my, I'm going to do the Sports Illustrated guy. Just off the top of my head, I am going to quantify all the things that Vince has ever done and instantly come up with a number one. I think it's not as bad as you think in terms of what is the single worst thing that's been a detriment to the entire wrestling business. Humoring shit stain, uh, going toward garbage wrestling in the 90s instead of focusing on the stars they had that was the real backbone of the Attitude Era. Uh, that wasn't just one stupid gimmick or one stupid finish, but stuff that had long-lasting effects. Uh, allowing the proliferation of all the tables and ladders and chairs and thumbtacks and stupid furniture matches until that you used to have to sell him on breaking a table, and it was only to be done on a big angle or on a pay-per-view, and now they've got them stacked up under the ring like playing cards. So, I mean, you know, I don't know how to answer something like that. I'm going to go with putting the different promotions around the country, the territories, out of business. Well, because yeah, that would be a good one. In terms of a long-term detriment, recently, and I was surprised to hear this on a 1990 episode of John Arezzi's show that we cover on Pro Wrestling Spotlight then and now, John was talking about some of the problems with WWE losing some talent and not having talent come in and the NWA's talent issues. And in 1990, this is just five years yeah. after the expansion, he's saying, well, you know, Vince put all these companies out of business. There's nowhere to get top flight talent anymore. So I think that may be the single biggest detriment was just making it so you need your NXT. You need everyone to be trained the same way by the same people to work in the same system, as opposed to guys developing their craft, working many different places before they get onto a national stage. Good thinning, Brian. And also, but here's another thing. It doesn't have, the training doesn't have to be so cookie cutter. Because we didn't do that in OVW. Everybody, yeah, you were taught to work safely and the best ways to bump or to execute particular moves so that you wouldn't hurt yourself or whoever you were giving them to. I mean, that's kind of standard. There's some leeway in there, but it's a lot of standardized business. But we didn't specifically make everybody talk the same and act the same and dress the same and cut their hair the same when they. They used to cut the guy's hair. I'd have guys that looked like rock and roll stars of Seth Skyfire, Nova, Doug Basham, and they'd come back bald or with some fucking haircut that looked like they worked at a bank. So 
just because a lot of guys are being trained in the same place doesn't mean that they need to come out of that place looking the same, acting the same, and talking the same. I don't know what they're doing to them now, but that's it's not necessarily, uh, it doesn't follow that the same training location turns out guys that all work the same. It's being done now on purpose, I guess. But your but your your point was was right. Probably the original sin was yeah. the reason why the wrestling business worked that way for so long was fairly obvious when you look back at what they did to it afterwards, because that's the way it operated the best, the most profitably for everybody, the most advantageously for the wrestlers and the promoters. Regional territories. There's always fresh talent. There's never a lack of fucking stars, and everybody prospers. 1985, Vince is still able to pull talent from Memphis, from Mid-South, from Crockett, from Vern, Florida, from Vern. Florida. 1990, where is he pulling talent from? You know, that was Nowhere. The that was the problem. <laughs> and then, and then the, the, you know, uh, well, it, for a while, it, there was a, a moratorium on bringing anybody from WCW because he didn't want anybody to go there in the first place. So, therefore, they figured if we don't hire people from there then nobody will want to go there because they're doing such shitty business. That was the first half of the decade. But then he didn't realize how much guys like guaranteed contracts. <laughs> well, you know, but in, in all honesty, he had the last laugh anyway on a lot of them. Uh, but toward the end of the decade, they just ended up cannibalizing themselves, which that along with all the other hot shotting was interesting for a couple of years until it wasn't anymore because then even that lost its impact. So, you know, it, and then they had to open their own training facility. Well, they didn't have to, they didn't have to, they, they needed their, their, a, a place, a training facility they could get talent from, which was the whole idea of OVW. Then they had to open their own because they couldn't leave anybody else alone when they were training talent. This next question was sent to corny drive through at gmail.com from Fausty Walnuts. In San Jose, California. <laughs> On a recent podcast. Hey, I've, I've heard, by the way, those are some of the finest walnuts in, in San Jose. On a recent podcast. Brian, let me ask you this. You know, what you, you know what you got when you got nuts on the wall? What's that? Walnuts. You know what you got when you got nuts on your chest? Chestnuts. Chestnuts. You know what you got when you got nuts on your chin? No, I do not. A dick in your mouth. Go ahead. On a recent podcast. Hey, yeah, let me ask you this. You know what you you know what you call a guy with no arms and no legs sitting on the porch? Matt. You know what you call a guy with no arms and no legs hanging on the wall? Art. You know what you call a guy with no arms and no legs in a bathtub? Bob. This is awful. You know, you know I, what you, you know what you call a dog with no legs? It don't matter, he won't come anyway. I will add this one. It is a Jackie Martling choke I heard years ago. You're Humor there reminded me of it. What do you say to a woman with no arms? I don't know. Nice tits. <laughs> well, let's get to this question. Sent a corny drive through at gmail.com from Fausty Walnuts in San Jose, California. On a recent podcast, Vince Russo was discussing February 1997. I'm sure he was. And getting more involved working with you and Bruce Pritchard on creative. Yeah, that's about the time it happened. He went on a five-minute rant questioning the credibility of the stories Bruce tells 
due to his history of alcohol and pills. <laughs> God damn it. He even says, quote, Bruce would tell me during the height of WrestleMania, he would tell me stories of him and freaking Vince snorting cocaine in the back of the limousine. I've heard, what? St- I've heard stories of Vince having bottles of wine on his private jet. But did you ever do or witness Vince McMahon doing rails of coke in the back of his limo? No. And not only that, <laughs> but I've known Bruce Pritchard about 15 years longer than Shitstain has known him. And Bruce never told me he was in the back of a limo with fucking Vince McMahon doing lines of coke either. And we spent a lot of time together, just like, as a matter of fact, I spent more one-on-one time with Bruce Pritchard. That almost sounds dirty now. Than, than Shitstain did, because when I was working with Bruce was the period of time where we would most of the time spend the day at his house, playing with his dog, acting like we were working if the office called. And then once a week, we'd go to Vince's where he'd tell us what we were supposed to write. And then that did not come up. He he did share with me that he had done other substances with other talent, which is not germane to this particular point. So we will not give those names, but none of them were Vince McMahon. So here's another thing. Yes, Bruce has mentioned that he has done some substances in the past, but I don't say that he's making up stories or can't remember the stories because of his substance use. I just say that sometimes he makes up stories because they sound better, at least to him, than the actual stories the way they happened. But uh, shit stains one to talk about somebody not being able to, to tell their stories right when his change constantly, at least Bruce's bullshit's fairly consistent. But shit stains changes depending on his audience or the way the story was received the last time he told it. He tweaks things so so often to to make himself sound better. But no, I I I believe because it's true. Vince drunk in the fucking bar and give the guys giving him their finishes and the fucking plane ride stories and and the other stuff. But no, just as a statement. I guess Bruce just liked shit stain a lot more than me because all that time that we were alone together, he never confided in me that he used to do lines of cocaine with Vince McMahon in his limousine. Not to say Vince McMahon has never done cocaine. I didn't, I, I have no knowledge that he ever has, but I didn't say that. I didn't make that blanket statement. I said, if, if he and Bruce did it, I never heard about it. And I don't know why I wouldn't have heard about it if shit stain did hear about it because he wasn't around when it was happening either. You know, there are pretty famous stories about Vince getting drunk a couple times with the boys and taking the doomsday and, device in a bar and taking... And see, and, and see, that's, by the way, by the time that I got around, and especially 96 when I was up there and, and on a regular basis around him, that, that was a mostly a thing of the past also, until they started getting their own plane where they could act up and not be in public. But I didn't get to witness all of that activity by Vince either. He was fairly straight-laced at that point. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, and you say fairly straight-laced. Did you ever see Vince drunk? No. Never once? No. All right. I mean, that's a that's a blanket statement. I'd, I'm trying to remember in that period of time 
I mean, you know, and I didn't go and sit at the goddamn hotel bar till it closed like a bunch of the guys because they're fucking bored or whatever. I was happy once I got out of TVs or wherever to go to my room, get a pizza, watch some TV and possibly have some company. But I was not a social butterfly. But in in working with Vince, in, in being at Vince's house on the days we worked there, in driving three and four hour trips from one place to another in the car with Vince, where we'd leave at, you know, nine o'clock in the morning and get to the TV at noon and leave at, at almost midnight and get back to the hotel at two o'clock in the morning or whatever the fuck. I don't remember seeing him drink alcohol. Uh, maybe a cocktail, two cocktails. If we went to like the steakhouse, what was it? A Smith and Walensky's that he liked to go to in uh, New York or a fancy dinner at a steak place like that. Something like that. He might have a drink. I can't remember specifically that I saw him do it, but I'm not going to deny that he did do it, but I've never seen Vince McMahon drunk. I've never seen Vince McMahon either. I don't know that I ever saw him take a, not saw him take a pill, but was around him after he had taken a pill of any kind. I wasn't around him during his surgery. He had the quads reattached or whatever. I'm sure he might've taken some pain medication, but it's not like he just said, wow, boy, I just had that Vicodin and I'm fucking loopy or anything like that. It's just, no. Uh, the 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 drunk in the bar wanting to be one of the boys, Vince, probably mostly ended in that era with the steroid trials. And then whatever he was doing when they all got to be billionaires and got their own plane, I have no idea. I had escaped the asylum by then. These stories about Vince being able to work on no sleep and everyone says, oh, he's like a robot or an android or a monster. How's he doing this? Do you think it's the cocaine? <laughs> no again no it's just he he's miserable if he can't work and he doesn't like to sleep because it keeps him from working uh we'd go in there on a wednesday we're supposed to get there at nine o'clock in the morning right well that's a fucking two hour drive from where we lived me and bruce in those days so we're in the car at seven o'clock but we got up at six thirty. And fucking jumped in the car to go down there and and hopefully not be late. We'd come in. Vince has already been up. He's already had his coffee. He's already had his workout in his home gym. He's already got the paperwork spread out on the fucking dining room table. And if you are late, even though he's lived there for 20 years and he knows very well that it can take you two hours to go 30 miles in that fucking shithole, he looks down his fucking reading glasses at you and looks at his watch like, what time is it, pal? A lot of traffic like that. He he was always, and he never, he never wanted to get rid of us. He would not let us leave. At seven o'clock that night would come around. It'd be dark, depending on what time of year it was. And we're still talking about this horse shit. What's Mark Merrow going to do about whatever? And I'm going to tear my hair out of my fucking head. And it, he would never want you to leave. And if, all right. I guess that's it. Good place to stop. Finally, you get the fuck out of there. And then he'll go and fucking do more shit. So, and, and it's not like he wasn't at, at, at his office 12 hours a day when he was in Stanford. If he was on the road, he's got his book out 
there was two reasons he never drove. Number one, because nobody wanted to ride with him driving because he's crazy. And number two, that way he can sit in the front seat in the passenger seat with his book out and fucking book or talk about booking. So I know I, he's just, that's him. And he had the famous quote and it's true. Unfortunately, he said he, I can't remember what interview or publication it was, but he said, when I die, I will die a very frustrated man because there's so much left to do. I'm I'm just going to say, check with me when I'm a fucking billionaire and see if my fat ass wants to do anything. Did you ever see Vince eat any magic spoon? (laughs) Well, no, but I'll tell you what, I've seen Vince attacks food. I will say this, and then we will talk about the wonderful people at Magic Spoon. He doesn't want to enjoy it. He wants to get it over with, right? Even if it's a nice steak dinner, he'll go to the best steakhouse in New York, but he takes big bites and he barely chews. When we would go down to the down the road to the little lunch place, a little like a deli and, and a little store down the road from his palatial estate for lunch when we were over there, he would always get the same thing a fucking turkey sandwich with light mustard, just a giant thick, one of those East Northeast deli giant thick two inch Turkey sandwiches with a little mayonnaise. And he would eat the thing in five bites while he's looking at his book at the fucking dining room table. It's fuel to him. He doesn't want to enjoy it. He he needs it. He needs the intake for his muscle building, but otherwise he wants to get the process over because it keeps him from fucking working with both hands. Well, Jim, let's get some questions here on the show. This first one was sent on Twitter using the hashtag horny drive through from Mark in Dryden. What does Jim think about Stephanie McMahon's comments about who will replace Vince? And I have an article here from. I was about to say, what are Stephanie's comments about who will replace Vince? This is an article from comicbook.com by Connor Casey. I'll read this. The question of what will happen once Vince McMahon steps down as WWE chairman and CEO has been on the minds of WWE fans for years. <laughs> no kidding, especially lately. <laughs> Many now ass- be nice. Would you stop? Many assume that the couple of Triple H and Stephanie McMahon will both step in to fill the role given their heavy involvement on WWE corporate side for over a decade. Stephanie McMahon was asked about that topic while on the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast over the weekend and put a damper on that fan theory. I don't think there will ever be a person-to-person replacement for Vince McMahon. He does too much. The landscape would look different however it shakes out, McMahon said. I do think a lot of the institutional knowledge is important, particularly with regards towards the core content. But it's also surrounding our business with strong, smart executives. And that's exactly what we have. So I do think it's the marriage of institutional knowledge, the incredible production value, the creation of talent IP and storylines, and really strong business executives to help us expand. I think it's a combination of things. It's really remarkable when you think about our history and what Vince accomplished. 
Think about what he's done. He took what was a regional business and had the vision to go around and create one organization, nationally and ultimately globally. My father saw the opportunity for syndication. He saw the opportunity for advertising. Ultimately, he saw the opportunity to really create something that had never risen to the level of popularity it had never been. That's a weird sentence. Okay. What are your thoughts? Well, who knows who's transcribing these things? Yeah, that's right. Comicbook.com. Have you noticed everybody in a large corporation or publicly traded company masters the art of speaking forever without ever actually saying a goddamn thing? Um, I will agree one thing. You can't replace Vince with one person because there's never going to be another Vince McMahon. But right now, even the Vince McMahon that exists, obviously, is at best spread too thin. I don't know what the fuck's going on up there. I've mentioned it a few times on this program. I, the things that I see, I can see the Vince McMahon that I knew being aghast over it airing on his television program. So I, Vince was an integral part of everything, even the tiny, minute stuff that, that would be done in the company that Vince wouldn't know about. He would, he would have had somewhat of a, of a system in place, or you would know, even if, if it wasn't something you needed to consult with Vince on most of the time, people knew not to do shit that Vince wouldn't like. Um, so he was in everything for good, bad, and indifferent. But for all those years, a lot of it was good because he did get bigger and, and expand and increase and blah, blah, blah. But this downhill side has been going on for a while. And I don't know. Everybody says, well, it's all Vince. It's all Vince. At some point, goddamn, is even the one guy in charge of the company to blame for everything here? Or, or did they just take and run with the fact that everything's the shits? And so I, I, I don't see how one person could replace Vince. I don't think Triple H wouldn't want to replace Vince otherwise than running the wrestling part of the company. I'm sure there's a lot of the things that Vince has done over the years that Triple H would be more than happy to stay away from. And also because you've got to remember that any other one person would be a normal human being. And we've joked about how for so many years Vince never fucking slept. Nobody else is going to do that. Uh, I'm sure now poor... Uh, maybe that's what the problem is. At some point, Vince has had to start sleeping. Maybe that's when things started going downhill. I don't fucking know. But it also with the with Peacock and NBC and and all this other stuff, no one person can run the company anymore. So Stephanie'll probably have some department, Triple H'll probably be over the wrestling department. They've hired executives to do uh, you know most of the business and then they'll probably all be running trying to sell it for $5 billion, as we've talked about, as soon as Vince is gone. So, that, no. you know. See, I disagree with you there. I think Vince is going to be the one to sell it. Well, I'm, say I'm saying if Vince is gone, if, if, if he's gone and they still own it, I thought that was the presumption that we're, we're bearing up under who would replace Vince. I think Vince. Because if, if Vince sells it, somebody's replacing Vince, 
whether they want it or not. If Vince sold it today, let's say, I think you'd have Nick Khan running the business end. You'd have Triple H running the wrestling end. The question is, do you have an overall CEO that they both report into, or does someone like Nick Khan get elevated to that position? I think Nick Khan's there to sell the company. I absolutely believe that. I can see that. And and, and the thing is, you can't even say, well, now, well, it'll be the end of wrestling as we know it, because that horse already left the barn and the barn burned down as a result of the Fiend's pyromania. So what difference does it make? It, you know, it, we've already lost the, the fucking fight. It's gone. So just the question is, is, is it going to be shittier? Uh, once Vince is gone under Nick Khan or corporate ownership to be determined, or is it just going to continue to be kind of as shitty? That's what you don't know. Like Disney bought Marvel and they left a lot of the Marvel people alone. They tried to stay true to the Marvel vision with the movies. And it's been a major success. With George Lucas selling Lucasfilm to Disney, Disney made a lot of Star Wars fans happy, although some not so much, by going in and developing more Star Wars material. George Lucas isn't so happy because they're not doing things that were his vision, but Star Wars fans are a bit happier because they're getting Baby Yoda and they're getting, you know, the Mandalorian and they're getting all these different things. So that's the thing. If NBC Universal buys WWE, and if it's NBC, they're buying it strictly because it's a content producer. What's going to happen? I mean, we all assume Triple H. We assume that Vince will sell it with the idea that you got to take care of my kids, and I'm counting Triple H as one of them. What if it's not Triple H? What if some executive comes, and he's the new CEO, and he needs a wrestling person who has the institutional knowledge? Stephanie's right about that. You do need that. But what if that person starts talking to Johnny Ace and thinks this is the guy? You know what I mean? Like, what if he starts talking to the wrong person and thinking this is someone who really knows what they're talking about? Well, then in that case, they'd be talking to Tony Khan. Because if they want somebody that uh, they can go to that that will really fucking wind them up for a good wrestling uh, company, they need to go directly to Tony Khan and quit worrying about Vince McMahon or triple H or Stephanie or all that stuff. He'll give them something. I don't, it's, I just have no optimism whatsoever. I'm looking at, you know, the WWE has run most of these fans off because there was no other option and it's so fake. And the people who like fake wrestling, but just don't like the evil empire we know how many of them there are. There's 750,000, and they're watching the other show on Wednesday nights, which is abysmal. And there's almost no way now to do wrestling properly because everybody considers it a fucking joke. It would be like trying to do Hogan's Heroes as a drama. So I don't really think it matters who's running the thing by the time Vince is gone. Even if it's only a few years from now, by then, will anybody be watching? What do you think of Stephanie calling her father Vince as opposed to my dad? Oh, she does that all the time. Well, I mean, it's not like she doesn't also sometimes refer to him as my dad, but everybody says Vince, even family members. Well, let's stay on the topic of Vince. Our next question sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Halvey in the state of Minnesota. 
Who? What? Halvey. Halvey. On a recent drive-thru, Jim mentioned that Vince Jr. held a personal grudge against Crockett Jr. and Vern Gagne. Jim explained why Vince Jr. held the grudge against Crockett, but not Vern. What was the personal issue between Vince McMahon and Vern Gagne? Well, did, did I even say, did I use that terminology, he held a personal grudge? Or it just seemed like that that was the, the most delight he took. <laughs> I mean, we definitely talked about the idea that he did take personal, he did seem to take delight in crushing Crockett Jr. and Vern. Yes. Um, well, I just more enjoyment then. It was not necessarily a grudge. It's just a byproduct with him. I don't know that Vince had a lot of grudges, but uh, with Vern, it was just. It was a grudge. <laughs> it, well, it was a grudge. Absolutely. Well, yeah. And, and also, but he needed, he got the idea for Hogan. And then because Hogan was working for Vern at the time and was his, you know, top box office attraction, not only did he. Fuck Vern, but also when Hogan wanted to bring all the people that he was comfortable working with, David Schultz as an opponent, Mean Gene Okerlund, blah, 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 they decimated Vern's roster. He would have probably have done that just to get what he wanted anyway. But then, you know, of course, there was Vern was not a shrinking violet and um, said a lot of things. So I'm sure that, uh, you know, it wasn't a. Like, Vince didn't give a fuck about poor old Don Owens in Portland. He didn't care about putting Don Owens out of business. And as we've mentioned, he didn't try to put Jerry Jarrett out of business because, you know... Because neither one of of them owned the Midwest. Yeah, none of those territories were a threat to him or a place that he wanted to, you know, to take over or invade. So, you know, he left... But he, he... sodomized the the territories that he wanted to get a foothold in or get their talent. Well, the other thing is the story has always been that Vern and possibly even Greg kind of laughed off Vince in the summer of 83 when he offered to buy the AWA. Oh, I'd forgot about that. Yeah, that's well, and but everybody else would have too, because it, they were used to Vince, Vince Jr.'s the announcer for his dad. All of a sudden, hey, I want to buy your company you've been running for 30 years. What? Yeah, and a lot of people, even in the summer of 83, were still unaware that he had purchased the company from Vince Sr. and the other partners in Capital Wrestling. Everyone didn't know that he owned the company yet. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it, that's the thing is, at first, Vince did remember unkindly people who didn't take him seriously. And maybe Vern was right, because if you look at who Vince made that offer to, notwithstanding Fritz, who didn't go for it, and... You know, Vince couldn't do anything to hurt Fritz that Fritz and his booking and, and his family issues didn't hurt that territory enough on its own. Yeah. But Vince, the partners in Capital Wrestling got paid, although when you look at the value of what that company was worth, they really, he got a sweetheart deal with them. Tunney got paid and got set up for life or for the next 20 years. Stu got screwed. Michael Bell got screwed. Who's to say Vince doesn't go and offer Vern, who had the biggest territory of all those guys, and had top-level talent, hey, I'm going to give you X amount of millions of dollars, and then he reneges on it after six months, after he gets everything he wants, including the TV and the wrestlers. Because that's what he did. He went there, and he went after his TV, and he went after his top talent. He went after the producers. He went after the C-level commentators. (laughs) He went after everyone. If you wanted a WWE deal, all you had to do is go work for the AWA. I agree. 
<laughs> no extra insight. Okay, I got no you. No extra insight. Well, our- we've, been, we've been down that road and back a few times. I know all the fucking uh, uh, pictures on the wall of the bathroom at that gas station. Our next question, Jim, sent to cornydrivethru at gmail.com from Tom Cedric. My name is Tom Cedric. <laughs> well, <laughs> now that we've got that established, I think we can move on. My name is Tom Cedric, and I was a maintenance executive, yes, a real thing, at the American Airlines Arena from 2004 to 2010. In April of 2008, WWE did a taping of ECW and SmackDown in Miami. In preparation of Vince's arrival, the maintenance crew was told to eradicate all mirrors from his office. When we asked why, we were told Vince hadn't been a huge fan of mirrors since 2006. Very specific and odd date. Then they warned us that we needed to keep a roped-off space in the parking garage for him because he has a superstition that when two or more cars are in close proximity to one another, they can communicate. What? Since I'm still, to this day, not sure if it was a rib, can you please give us any info about these weird phobias? No. Um, (laughs) No. I mean, all I can tell you is every Vince's office in any arena that they're in, that's one of the the prime locations that they – they rope off, not rope off, but they pick out first is where Vince's office is going to be because in the major arenas, there are a labyrinth of, you know, of, of offices and private dressing rooms and, and locker rooms or rooms with a, a mirror and lights and a adjoining bathroom that talent can be in privately because of all the concerts and the, you know, pro sports and the things and television productions that these major arenas do. In the smaller buildings, I've mentioned before the, you know, the in the early days of Raw, when we would go to some real fucking doozies, you know, then it was it was a little harder to find a good place, but wherever they would always get a room that was big enough for Vince and or if several people to have a meeting in, for Vince to have all of his stuff, have his books, and that's where that's the inner sanctum where you go and talk to Vince or you're summoned to talk to Vince or whatever. You stand out. If you're the boys, you stand out in a line outside when he's receiving. We've all heard those stories. It needs to be somewhere near Gorilla, so it's not like all the way hell and gone from the, you know, it needs to be convenient for him. Uh, But I never once heard of a mirror needing to be removed or saw a mirror removed from any of the rooms that he ever used as an office. Uh, I have ridden with Vince and I've driven Vince in, in cars and we always got preferential parking because he's fucking Vince McMahon and he's either renting the building or owning the company. Or as mentioned, he had some kind of goddamn gimmick Hertz card that I've never heard of. And I don't even know was an actual publicly acknowledged thing where he could rent a car from Hertz and just leave it sitting anywhere outside baggage claim at the airport at a fucking hotel downtown at the parking lot and they would come and get it so he always had preferential parking of some description but he never once told me or did i observe him 
parking away from other cars to prevent them from what what communicating with each other? The exact line here is he has a superstition that when two or more cars are in close proximity to one another, they can communicate. He's got more than two cars in his fucking garage. Apparently he they has, talk to each other. At the mansion in in Greenwich, he it's either a three or four car garage. I can't remember which, but it's it's in a bricked in beautiful brickwork compound where you drive into a it, it, you know, I mean, it, it looks like a goddamn, you know, funeral home of some description. It's so stately. <clears throat> and all of his cars are there in the garage. And, and I never observed any of them having a, a conversation with each other. I, it, there was the one time he is short tempered. He He's by himself one time. He told us this story, me and Bruce. He's by himself one time. He gets in his little, he had like some kind of, I, I'm not good with vehicles. But uh, one of the, not an SUV, because they didn't have them 25 years ago or whatever, but one of those, not a Jeep, not like just a sloppy little shitty, but one of those Jeep-like vehicles that cost money. And he fucking hits his goddamn, he gets in it, he's going to go down to the little store down the street and get him some lunch or whatever, the turkey sandwich with light mustard. And he hits his garage door opener thing, and starts his car and pops it into fucking reverse without looking and steps on the gas and assumes the door is open, but the garage door opener thing, either he didn't hit it right or it didn't fucking connect and he backed into his garage door. Boom. And then he looked up and he saw it. He got mad. He pulled up and put it in reverse and backed up again, back through the motherfucker and went to the store and got fucking lunch and then came back and called somebody and had a, had a new garage door put on. How did we get there? Vince is afraid of mirrors and he thinks cars talk to each other. No, I, they had, it had to be some jolly jokers on his staff telling this poor event or uh, arena guy, oh yeah, and the brown M&Ms and don't do this or that. I've never heard anything like that. I want to believe it. I, I would like to believe it. Something happened to Vince and the fucking five or six years that, you know, I was not around him on a regular basis that caused him to be afraid of mirrors. You know, come to think of it, it's funny thing. He does have a lot of mirrors in his house, but every time I'd be standing there talking to him, I wouldn't see him in the mirror. Ah, see, you're focusing on the mirrors. I think the funnier thing is that cars are communicating with one well, another I, I, yeah, just, but, <laughs> and you can't let his car communicate or be near these communicating cars. But here's the, but here's the thing. <laughs> did they, did they make this guy legitimately take them? Because I can't remember the specific layout of the American airlines arena in Miami, but it's a major NBA arena. I have been in a bunch of them and in these various office rooms and locker rooms, and these mirrors are mounted to the walls. They're part of framework or a part of the design. Did this poor guy have to come in and get some kind of maintenance guy to come in and physically remove these giant mirrors that are fixed onto the wall and in these dressing facilities and bathrooms just because somebody was yanking his chain about Vince's picadillos? Does he said, did he do it? I think he said they did it. Oh my God. And that's that's something. The building would. <laughs> the other funny part is thinking, why, is like, why, why are there know? any mirrors in here? Where are the mirrors? But no, that's, I know that's the thing. Is that 
because goddamn Vince is so the one picadillo he does have by God is that he is fastidious about his appearance. I can't believe it. What would he be saying if he's in a room with no fucking mirrors? Was the staff ribbing Vince that he couldn't fucking, I mean, he shaves in the car in the back seat with his electric razor without looking in the mirror. He just does that as a thing like other people play with change or like his dad played with quarters or whatever. He shaves with the electric razor, but he ties his tie. He sprays his hair. He, you know, apparently does his makeup, uh, or has it done uh, these days? Um, he needs, and they build them for that. That would have been on the settlement statement from the arena, taking out mirrors, reinstalling mirrors after you leave. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss. Anyway, you were, you were doing an introduction of some description. Of some description. I think I had an ending of some description. I can think of a few descriptive words. Oh, yeah, it, was, it was basically left to me and I just wandered <laughs> off, right? Well, it was thrown in your direction, but WrestleMania. I managed to dodge it. You did. WrestleMania 37 in, was it Tampa or Tampa Bay? I don't know what it was, but. Well, it's, it was, it's Tampa, but they, they had to get the, because there was a ship there, because there were pirates. Except all the pirates, they were given the R or the accent like that. I thought the pirates all came from Somalia now. They don't sound like the no, old... The, the celebrating the classic pirate. The classic pirate. The pirate of yesteryear. The pirate of yesteryear was, <laughs> was being honored by this two-night extravaganza in the middle of a goddamn global pandemic. Uh, but it, 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 night one started off, it was... It was appropriate there for Vince with all of the talent on the stage. As we all know, it's all phony now anyway, and they're about to pretend to be mad at each other. What the fuck? Uh, to welcome back the fans after a year and whatever. That I can see that. We probably would have told Vince that's something you should do back in the day. That was the right place for it, and it was short and to the point. So, because... It, it I don't know now whether Vince is trying to put on his gravelly voice or whether that is his voice now. Because it's, it, it, you know, he's always, he always has the public Vince voices, like as Bruce used to joke about, not Queen of Soul. But no, he's just that is his so voice gravelly now. these days. That is his voice now, yeah. But it was shortened to the point. And then... What was her name? BB Double D sang America the Beautiful. It was I'm from the Twin Peaks of the mountains to the valleys. Her valleys were certainly peaking. Uh, I don't know who the fuck she was. <laughs> I don't know. I can't help you. Is she someone? Well, she's someone who I don't know. <laughs> She is a bird in this world. She, all right. she appears to be a celebrity of some sort. It's like, remember when Randy Savage had all the managers trying to get him in WWF and he finally reveals that it won't be Bobby Heenan. It won't be Luscious Johnny. Yeah. It's going to be this woman. And Elizabeth walks out. They don't say who she is. And Bruno St. Martino's response is, who is that? Some sort of movie star? <laughs> yes, Bruno. It's some sort of movie star. <laughs> Ah, and then Bruno followed it up with, and she's standing next to a box-like structure. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, 
And now is the Stewie Griffin compliment. We're just going to be silly today, folks, because I haven't had a lot of sleep and I've had a lot of shit on my mind and watching this stuff just sent me over the edge. But um, we'll start with the Stewie Griffin compliment sandwich. The, the WrestleMania cold open. State of the art, as always. This is network television. This is NFL films kind of stuff. The graphics they do, the editing the shots that they get to build these things, the voiceover, the, the, the voiceover writing, the voiceover talents. This was tongue in cheek, but it was, it wasn't done silly like amateur kids on a cable access show. It was fucking halfway entertaining and didn't make the business look any particularly more silly than they usually make it look. Um, this studio knows what they're doing and then they revamped it. For night two, overnight, they had edited in highlights of night one in places that it made sense to do so. And so they didn't, even though they reused the body of the, the cold open, they still altered it for the, for the next night showing. But I mean, just the, the money they spend, the equipment they've got and the people that they have that operate this shit, uh, it, it not have, having nothing to do with wrestling. I'm just from, from my, interest in and experience in the television business i just marvel at some of the things they can put together if this was about you know fucking roland martin's fishing show it's just such quality what do you think how would i rowan and martin's fishing show that might oh, be funny no roland Mar- you remember i'm roland thinking of a martin's funny take of it show laughing on the water i think it could be great all right this next question sent to corny drive through at gmail.com from Justin in Connecticut. Is Vince at his best when he's producing someone else's ideas? You look at the most successful times of WWE, he was always producing someone else's ideas. For instance, Pritchard and Cornette, Russo and Ferrara, Paul Heyman, etc. Patterson. Vince's original ideas gave us gobbledygooker, Isaac Yankum, Million Dollar Mania, Katie Vick, and Fake Diesel. Is Vince McMahon the Rick Rubin of wrestling? Now, what? Why would Better that- at producing someone else than being the artist himself. Okay, well, I don't know if Rubin ever tried to be an artist. I don't know if he can play any instrument. He was a um, DJ. He was, that's how Def Jam started. He was a DJ. Well, but that's just playing other people's shit. But it's putting it in a new way to create a new song. Horseshit. Whether or not you pay for the royalties to use the song you're sampling. Hey, I like what Ruben told me one time when I said, should we, are we going to get in trouble if we don't pay any royalties on this music we're using on Smoky Mountain Wrestling? He said, I make rap records. We take other people's music and sell it. Just do it until somebody tells you not to. (laughs) Anyway, um. Well, I mean, yeah, that kind of actually that question, the answer is yes. And it's not even as something you need to think about as long as you might think Vince, Vince was never a booker in that he would figure out a program and he would start it with this angle and it would be over this issue or he would come up with a finish, it would put one foot in front of another finish rather than. Yeah, in the finish, you want to see him fuck him. Okay, well, everybody can come up with that, but exactly how? Vince sees the big picture. Vince sees talent. Vince sees things he can promote. 
Like I said, whether it be the WrestleMania main event that used to be the most important thing in his life is what's the main event for WrestleMania? I want to know it if I can a year out, certainly three to six months, have it set in stone by then. And he agonized over the thought. And when he would rethink things, remember when 97, the worst WrestleMania buy rate of all time, but he, he didn't get what he wanted with Brett and Sean because they were having their shit and he went back to the big guys and we got Taker and Diesel and that sucked. Um, or not 97, but, uh, goddamn, what was it? 97 Taker and Sid is what I'm trying to say. Um, so yes, he's better producing other people's ideas because then if you have guys that can come up with finishes or if you have guys that can come up with angles or if you have guys that do say, well, I've done this in the past or that in the past because Vince was never a performer, as we all know, until the Attitude Era. So he didn't have, you know, most bookers were wrestlers or at least were performers in the business. And so they had a mental Rolodex of finishes they'd been involved in, angles they had done, things they'd seen in the territories they'd worked, whatever. Vince never watched any other wrestling besides his. He obviously saw plenty of WWWF, but that led to repetition over time. And WWWF style booking was repetitious to begin with. So Pat Patterson was an entirely new way for him to look at things in the mid eighties and nineties. And then whether it was Bruce or me or even shit stain, it was a different way of looking at shit. That's for sure. But he always did that with everybody that was working with him. And he would pick out the things that he liked the best to make the final say as the boss. And then he usually liked the things that he, in his mind could see, this is the tagline. This is the promotion. This is the promotional push. Uh, you know, the 4th of July. Yeah. He'll, he'll slam the evil foreign giant on the deck of the, intrepid for the 4th of July, and then we'll get him a bus and dress him in red, white, and blue. Vince had promotional ideas like that. Vince didn't have wrestling ideas. So the wrestling was all had to be done by the wrestlers and his staff. Um, How would you compare? I I, I was just going to say, I don't think I ever heard Vince say, this is a finish I want to do, and then call an actual finish like you do in a locker room. I don't think I ever heard it once. How would you compare Vince with this process to Bill Watts, because although Bill Watts was an extremely talented booker and had had great success, look at what he did in Florida, when you were in Mid-South and for several years before that and after that, he had a booker. So yeah. how would you compare him producing his booker to Vince producing his? Well, but see, there's the, almost completely the opposite to the point where Watts was usually a better booker than his booker. So what it would be was Watts would have a booker because he got to the point, he had been a booker for other people. He booked Atlanta. He booked Florida. He booked for Leroy McGurk. But when you're running the company and you own the whole thing and you don't want to be on the road anymore, going to the towns every night, that's when you hire a booker. But it may kind of like be Rick Rubin hiring an assistant producer. Just to, you know, if, or an engineer or, or an engineer. Credit that engineer gets yeah. an engineer because yeah. And the guy gets an engineer credit because Ruben still, he's the producer. Watts ran his and Watts was the complete opposite of Vince in that sometimes 
if it didn't work for him wrestling wise, he wouldn't care whether he could promote it or not because it didn't work for him wrestling wise. It wasn't something that he thought that he should promote as wrestling or the people would buy. He wasn't, he was wanting to get the wrestling right and then promote what the wrestling was. Whereas Vince didn't give a fuck about whether the talent was going to have a good match or whether the angle was going to be believable or whatever, as long as he could figure out a way to promote it and get people to buy it, the sizzle over the steak. Watts was a lot of steak and a little sizzle. Vince was a lot of sizzle and very little steak. They had com- to completely different philosophies about how to go about it, but they were able to work together that brief time because they respected each other's various talents and and success they'd had. But then in the end, in that situation, Vince had to have the final say and Watts was not going to coexist, put up with, or acquiesce to that. Somebody overruling him about wrestling and And that's when he said, you know, okay, Vince, in that case, I'm going home because there's only room for one Titan in Titan sports. We're not mad. We're not fighting. But, you you know, the same thing in Atlanta. They said he had the final say, and then he found out he didn't have the final say. And you will find with perfectionists and people that, I mean, let's face it, Bill Watts was probably at the time in the 80s, um if not the best booker in the business, one of the best two or three. And you, when you find people that are confident in their ability and not only know that they're the best at what they do, but have a track record of it, they don't want to be told anything different in their specialty. And so that's why they prefer to do their own thing rather than things for other people because it's too much fucking headache dumbing your shit down for the people you're working for. And by the way, as, 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 as you can tell, I've experienced a bit of that myself. I was going to say, who would a booker become more frustrated working under, Vince or Watts? Vince. Vince. Vince was always frustrating to work under, even when he was nice to you, because goddamn the the last minute mind changes and just the things that he comes up with. And he said, OK, this is our mystery. Now, you know, after I've already written the crime for you, you solve it. Well, huh? uh, Vince is more frustrated for a booker. Watts would demand perfection, but you would learn so much about the actual booking that it, to me, it would be fun. It would, it would be fun. It wouldn't be a, a, a chore at all, even though, you know, you would be expected to produce or you'd be out on your ear. But again, I mean, I, I didn't work in the, the office with Watts, but I worked as a talent for Bill Watts for a year and it was never frustrating. I never learned so much in one compact period about the wrestling business in my life. Whereas Vince be very fucking frustrating. I learned tons about promotion and television and dealing with things like that from Vince. I never learned anything about wrestling from Vince McMahon, not wrestling itself or the performance of it, but promotion of it, television, broadcasting of it, formatting of it. Yes, but not anything about wrestling. Our next question, Jim sent to corny drive through at gmail.com from Richard Collins in Sydney, Australia. Recently released wrestler Chelsea Green has posted a selfie in front of Vince McMahon's office 
with a piece of paper that appears to include things banned from the room. Have you seen this image, Jim? No, I have not. Please tell me, what is this seriously a thing? Apparently so. It's an oldish graphic, if we're assuming this is real. It's Chelsea Green pulling down her face mask, standing in front of it. It says Vince's office, and there is a picture of a cigarette with one of those, what do you call them, the Ghostbusters sash. You know, no oh, yeah, cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. There's also a cup of coffee and a pencil. Although those aren't crossed out, I think people are assuming that pencils and coffee are banned from the room as well. Well, well, see, now that doesn't make sense because one of the things that you're supposed to have in your briefcase, along with your booking book that you specifically have Vince's secretary, Beth, order from the place that everybody gets their booking books from, you're also supposed to have a box of sharpened uh, number two pencils, the kind that erase easy, uh, along, <laughs> believe me, I'm not, I'm not bullshitting you here. They had a special kind of pencil that you would get so it erased real easy because you did that a lot, and you're supposed to have those with, so, and I'm trying to think, I don't know if Vince has a thing for or against coffee. I'm trying to remember if I always saw him drinking bottled water, but I I don't remember any major coffee aversion. What else is on there, Brian? That was it. It's just... That's it? It's just the cigarettes crossed out, and then a cup of coffee and a pencil. We've already heard rumors that he hates mirrors and talking cars as well. (laughs) I figured there'd be this whole long list of things you're not supposed to bring in, probably like pigs. After the the hog pen match, and Owen led the... The pig wrangler into putting the pigs in Vince's office. They probably banned <laughs> pigs. And uh, I don't know. You know, again, the last time I was around was the Hall of Fame deal, and I w- was in Vince's office at that arena, the Amway Center in Orlando. Um, we've mentioned it's not like he has a traveling office. They give Vince an office in a, a room that he has all of his amenities in and can do what he wants to do in. And so I was in it and there were the normal signs outside catering this way and production that way and pre-tapes that way or whatever. But I didn't see any written instructions on what to do or not do when you went into Vince's office. I don't, I, I <laughs> I don't know what's going on around there these days. There's another interview that's been going around, and I don't think it's a new story, but I believe it's a Stephanie interview where she talks about how or why her father hates nodding. Was that a thing? Well, I've seen that. Nobody ever said that. I've never been a nodder, right? Except, you know, if I'm I'm telling my own story, I might be nodding, right? (laughs) Whatever, but I'm not just going to sit there and nod my head up and down. I'm listening to him, right? So... I was never cautioned against it because I didn't really do it. But I, again, it's not like something that was that was shared around with everybody. Don't nod. Whatever you do, don't nod. You know, definitely, he's always been. He would blister Pat Patterson or Jim Ross or anybody. He doesn't want to be around smoking. Um, and he's always had the the quirks that we've talked about with the fact that he just eats just because you have to. <laughs> and he and he attacks the food and he does the thing with the shaver where he shaves constantly. 
uh, and he and he doesn't sneeze or or recognize sickness, even if 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 you're literally fucking flatlining in front of him, he will not be the first one to suggest you go home early from the office or whatever. But a lot of this, the weird stuff that they're talking about, that apparently there seems to be some evidence of, including things that Stephanie says or the pictures or whatever. This, there's more things coming up that's uh, a picadillo to Vince than than I experienced when I was around. This could be good the next few years. A diminished capacity Vince with Bruce and Johnny Ace on either side versus Ooh, Stephanie and Triple H. In a battle over who wins Nick Khan's heart. <laughs> Could be interesting. I, You know, I'll tell you what, if they make a movie about that, I can hear one of our uh, artists here on the drive-thru doing the uh, theme song. This next question sent to CourtneyDriveThru at gmail.com from Adonis Weed. Recently, I have discovered a video on YouTube where Ric Flair basically takes over a WWE 2K14 event and completely ignores Jim Ross's panel moderation, which was allegedly the reason why WWE fired Jim Ross for not having any control over the event. Now, my question here is, was that the final drop that spilled the glass? Or was it a knee-jerk reaction by Vince? Either way... Does Vince hate Jim Ross? No, he doesn't. But Vince, uh, when you have Vince as your friend, it can almost be as dangerous as having him as your enemy sometimes. Uh, but no, they did fire JR over that because Flair, and from what I understand, Flair was being Flair and the people loved it that were there and listening to the to panel and the whole nine yards. And from the way that I have heard it, even the video game people were not up in arms or upset or whatever, but Flair just commandeered the whole thing. There had been a couple of kamikazes involved, most probably. And since JR was the host, he took the heat. And he even said on one of his programs, he said, they fired me because I couldn't control Ric Flair. Well, explain to me who they were going to get to fill that fucking job. Um, and yeah, and that, that was the thing, but everybody except the office, apparently the office was mortified while the fans and attendants and the people and the civilians and the sponsors all loved it. Cause it was Flair being Flair and you can't control Flair, but he was telling a bunch of stories and just having a high old time, but it didn't follow the, the agenda that had been set out apparently by the marketing team there. Well, going back to the question of does Vince hate Jim Ross, how would you describe their relationship from what you saw? Well, you know, here's the – Vince has that weird sense of humor and it, where he loves to – what what would be the word? Persecute, prosecute, uh, perpetrate. He loves to fuck with people that he likes. And it's not even, it's sometimes you can't even really take it as good natured, but he means it that way in his own warped way. If you asked Vince McMahon, if he was sitting at his dining room table, what do you think of Howard Finkel? He would genuinely, honestly say, oh, I love Fink. Fink is, has been a prince to us. He's so dedicated. What a great guy, Fink. And then they would just fucking make him miserable, doing angles and things where he had to be 
stripped naked down to his underwear on Raw, or they'd beat up his car in the parking lot, or whatever. The constant ribs, the ribbages. Um, with Jim Ross. Yeah, JR and Vince have been contentious sometimes because JR was one of the small group of people that would bow up at Vince and in terms of Vince, listen to it. Here's my side of this. Here's how I look at this, instead of just saying yes, 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 whatever. But at the same time, if you would ask, you know, Vince, oh, I love JR. You know, he's been a valuable part of this organization. But he made him kiss his ass on TV and made fucking Dr. Heine jokes when JR had like 10 feet of his fucking intestines taken out. So you, for the people who have been around him for a long time, they know that's Vince and you don't take it all the way to heart. But that's why a lot of the boys, you know, are not fans. And that's why Vince has such a reputation as just being weird because even if he really likes you, he will unnecessarily fuck with you and get entertainment out of it. And if everybody's not laughing, I mean, the push in the pool thing is not a horrible rib, but, um, but that's just, that's one of the examples he has, you know, if I, I don't, nobody's ever pushed Vince in the pool. As far as I know, I don't know how he would react to that, but the, you know, he's always wanting to fuck with somebody or do something even in the production meetings or whatever, to call attention to some something that somebody did that they're probably not proud of or a mistake they made or whatever, and just fuck with them about it. And you know, it it that's the that's the kind of thing that's done in the locker rooms amongst the boys, right? The heel locker room or the babyface locker room. Holy shit, it gets sharp. But it's another thing when it's being done on television or set on television or done in meetings where it's not just the boys, but it's the production assistants and it's civilians that weren't really in the locker room, you know, weren't the boys. And when it starts getting that wide, then it's a little like, fuck, let him lighten up a little bit. And that's, that's why I told JR that time after my back windshield got knocked out in Atlantic city and I went home, didn't speak to him for three days. They didn't know where I was. When finally I took JR's call. I said, don't treat me like fucking Finkel. Because I love Howard too, but they treated him like a flunky and I wasn't going to fucking put up with it. And didn't. But that's, you know, it's just. But they did a lot of stuff to him, specific to Jim Ross. Yeah. Who, beyond being an on-air character, was a high-ranking executive in that company. They fucked with him left and right to the point where. After a while, it was like, why are you doing this? The proc, what was it? The, the thing where Dr. Heine, the, yeah, Dr. Heine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that whole thing. And, but that's why, you know, and that's <sighs> JR liked what he was doing and liked being involved and liked announcing and liked working with the talent and liked everything about it and was making very good money. So, and, and you liked a lot of the people that he worked with, possibly not all of them, but most of them and has a grudging affection for Vince, despite all of the quirks that we've talked about that he has. But I often want well, I wonder right now, I mean, I'm not knocking Jim Ross when I say this, but he's, I know how old he is. He's 10 years older than me. So I'll be 60 this year. He'll be 70 if he's not already, whatever time his birthday is. Point is. You wouldn't be able to blast me out of my house with dynamite. You can barely do it now. And JR's got more money than the federal government. I know he's better off than I am. 
I, you know, so I don't know. It's the same thing as some of the Haman I've, I've mentioned. I've just, I bless him for it that he still wants to do this. But I don't know how these guys, with the state of the business these days and with all the things you have to go through and put up with, I don't know how that they can get the old passion and energy to get on a plane or get in a car and go to these towns and do this work and do these things on a regular basis still. Um, and I often, you know, rolled my eyes at why JR didn't just one day walk into fucking Titan Tower and say, Vince, I love you and you paid me a lot of money, but fuck all you motherfuckers. I've taken enough bullshit and I'm going home to buy God, Oklahoma. Instead of his nice ways that he usually <laughs> phrases things. I just, uh, would he have been able to put up with all of that if he hadn't worked for Bill Watts for so many years before that? Well, <laughs> There was it. It was a completely different atmosphere. I know it, it was, but it wasn't that. It was hard. demanding. No, but it wasn't. It was not hard to work for Bill Watts if you did the shit you were supposed to do and had half a lick of sense. You wouldn't get yelled at, and you wouldn't get that much heat. But you would learn like you were going to a military school for pro wrestling. the The hard thing about working mid south was the trips and the fans. If the fucking 4,000 miles some weeks in a car working eight or nine times didn't kill you, the fans stabbing you or beating the fuck out of you might. But I didn't think it, it was much harder for me to put up with working in TNA than it was to work for Bill Watts because everything Watts did was successful. All the towns drew. The shows were fantastic. The talent was stacked up and everybody knew what they were doing. The the matches were great and the shows made, the TVs made sense. You learned a lot. You fucking got there on time, dressed like you were supposed to, did the shit you were supposed to, and got to the next town. And if you did that, you were fine. So it was much easier to work. All you had to do was be perfect to work for Bill Watts. That was much easier than having to put up with sitting there and watching that fucking fiasco with shit stain right in TNA and those production meetings and the fucking falderall where everybody was running around trying to ask whoever they thought they would be more favorable to them if they could do something or WCW under TBS in 1990. That was hard to sit there and watch that all those Missed opportunities and talent going to waste and shows not drawn, not because of the wrestlers, but because of the fucking idiot that the corporation had assigned to run the thing and didn't know anything about it. At various points in my life, it's I've done all kinds of things in wrestling that were much harder than working for Bill Watts. Just be perfect and don't die. Get there. Make the schedule and don't get killed. That's all you had to do and you, and, and, and be perfect. And you were fine with Watts. I can, I can actually admire that because that's what I tried to instill in everybody in OVW. The trips were a whole lot easier. Some guys were making money and some weren't because some had contracts and some weren't, but the trips were easier. All you got to do is show up on time, protect the business and be perfect. And you won't get yelled at. You ought to hear the way I cuss myself when I suck at something or fuck something up. You just, you can't hear it because I'm doing it internally. Because I can already hear myself thinking. I don't need to do it out loud. This next question sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com. And 
On Twitter, too, a lot of people have sent this in. It's just breaking today. Well, who broke it? I don't know about that, but we could say that the story was broken by, it appears, Sean Ross Sapp, who's with Fightful. Well, that's that's easy for you to say. He's with Fightful Select. I have to say, him and Mike Johnson break all the big stories. They do a great job, but he has an article here. I don't have the whole article because apparently it's a premium site that we don't have access to. (laughs) But... The headline. Call the hotline. The headline is Vince McMahon headed to the WWE Performance Center to scout talent. So I thought, even if we don't know all the details, this is something I'd love to get your thoughts on because you are someone who ran a developmental territory (laughs) for WWE. Did Vince McMahon ever come visit? Well, yes, yes, and no. One time after I was already gone, OVW had like the year before that Lauren Ida screwed Danny and, and canceled the contract that they had just signed. I th- he came one time, I heard, and that was it. Um, he's trying to put the fear of God into some people. Apparently, he's like, I don't like my talent roster now, and I'm going to go to the performance center and I'm going to find some guys that I want to push, and everybody ought to be scared. That's how I'm reading this, but. When we first set up OVW, it was in Danny's existing place that he was at in Jeffersonville, Indiana. And we've mentioned the old building where I, we were the only tenants. And I'd just go out and throw chairs through windows when shit went south. Um, and we were there for from 1999 until the summer of 2002 because the fans knew where it was. We could draw enough of them to fill up our TV tapings. And it was cheap, and there was no way, pretty much, Danny Davis had set up a company, there was no way OVW could really go out of business at that point. It also didn't have the upside that it would later, but that was the initial location. And we stayed there until we were sure that everything was copacetic. But finally, everybody from the office, Jim Ross and everybody started saying, you got to get a new place before anybody named McMahon comes down here. Because, I mean, God, the... There was no heat. There was no air conditioning. The toilets most of the time didn't work. So that's when we got the new place uh, over off Shepherdsville Road and moved in there in 2002. And that's where really we had room for everything then. You had the workout area and the the promo room and a nice arena that would seat 400 people and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but still, Vince never came. And once a year or so, They'd send the writers down. And I think one time during, I was, I was only there six years though. Now I believe, I think I saw the writers four times, maybe five, but I was only there six years and Stephanie came once. And I actually made the effort to go when Stephanie came with some of the writers, I believe liver lip Lagana was with them on that trip. Uh, cause he, he brought it up to me years afterwards, but otherwise it's all people I assume that are long gone from the company, but I sat with them and every time there was a tryout match, I would explain the strengths and the weaknesses of each guy, how long he'd been training, how well he'd been doing, whether he was a better natural baby face or a natural heel, how the promos were the whole nine yards, give them the scoop on everybody. And then they left and. Nothing ever happened, and the only people that got called up again were the people that we said, no, these guys are green and not ready. I can't remember the specific names. It was one of a number of times. Um, And otherwise, you never saw the writers. You never saw anybody from creative. Like I said, I, I was there six years. I maybe saw them three or four times. 
And, you know, for a while when they were mad at Bruce and Bruce didn't have anything to do, they would have him review the OVW television program and send notes to Vince and the creative team. Well, of course, because he was pissed that he wasn't the creative team. He didn't watch the show from week to week, and he was trying to apply sports entertainment logic to it instead of wrestling. So he went, well, why do they acknowledge that uh, Jim Ross can make these matches? Because we tell the truth here. It's wrestling. Jim Ross is a talent executive. He's the guy that's signing all of these fucking guys to contracts uh, that they're aspiring to here in this developmental league. Anyway, so... They constantly sent down producers. They constantly sent down wrestlers either that were rehabbing injuries or getting back in the ring to knock ring rust off or needed to lose some weight or just guys like Chris Canyon that just, if they weren't booked and working, they wanted to come and help guys. We got tons of, you know, of those guys, Tom Pritchard and uh, boss man, big Bubba Ray trailer when he was an agent and, you know, a variety of those guys had always liked it. We didn't, we didn't encourage the writers ever to come because we didn't want them, but we never refused them to come. They just never did. And like I said, after the time with Stephanie and whoever it was, I told Danny, I said, if the writers ever do come back again, just tell them I couldn't be here because I either need five minutes or five years with them. Five minutes to say hello, welcome to Louisville, hope you all have fun, or five years to teach them what the fuck the wrestling business is. Because anything in between would just frustrate both sides. So, and that was pretty much that. But so I'm, I'm thinking, no, Vince doesn't just announce he's going to scout talent unless he's saying, God damn it. I'm going to find some stuff. I'm going to find the people we ought to be pushing and I'm going to fucking light a fire under everybody's ass. That's exactly what he will do. I'm not saying it'll be great decisions all around. I'm just saying that's exactly what is in his mind right now. They've had Karrion Cross, Scarlet, and I believe Bronson Reed working some matches at recent TV tapings. I believe someone told me they may have even been on the main event show, which I've never seen, and I don't even know where it is. But the fact that they are there, and now Vince is going down and looking for talent, what do you think that says about Vince's mindset about his current roster? They've seen We've seen some recent cuts, some surprising ones like Braun Strowman. But what does it say about how Vince sees the roster? And the other thing is, what the fuck's he going to think when he goes to NXT and he sees Gargano and you know, some of these guys that he's going to hate? Well, you know, uh, he might have a talk with Triple H in, in the car on the way from the airport or whatever once he sees the size of some of the guys. But, but no, what, what Vince is thinking probably is that you know, I'm seeing these guys on my main roster and nobody's getting over. Nobody's connecting with people. All the things that he says. And, and the problem is you need, you needed to have a product that people actually still kind of believed, even if they knew the business was, you know, predetermined in some way before everybody was completely smart. You needed a product that people somewhat believed. You needed wrestling bookers that were booking it in a, in a wrestling show fashion. And you needed talent that was new enough, fresh enough, different enough, but good enough or had enough charisma or the oomph factor of something that you could fucking grab that and push them. And right now, I don't think they have any of those things. But Vince is thinking that they still have all the things they used to have. 
such as a product that people believe and fucking actual wrestling bookers. He just, he's going to blame, well, these guys aren't hungry enough or they're not ready or they're not going out and snatching whatever. I want somebody that'll make some waves. And he's going to go and look and he's going to find, probably just to be contrary, <laughs> some guys that he sees something in that that nobody else has been you know, pitching to him, hey, we ought to get this guy or that guy, and he's going to figure out a way to do something with them, and it might be entertaining to see what happens, positive or negative. Well, we shall see. I will say Triple H on the last conference call I heard before one of the big NXT shows, I listened to it. I've never heard him so defensive, and I don't know if argumentative is correct, but kind of going back and forth with a few of the wrestling journalists on the line. I've never heard him do that before. You know, he's been, well, you know, that Mike Johnson can be a real asshole. He pisses people off all the time. So maybe it was just called for. I don't know. I think there's a lot of pressure right now with, uh, Mike's so pushy developmental or whatever we want to call it. Yeah. There's, there's pressure because the, instead of the main roster, uh, you know, being the goal of the place for the people on in developmental to get to the main roster ratings have now fallen almost to the level of developmental. So it would be a lateral move at best. All right, Jim. Well, let's get one last question here on the show. I think we should, we should do that. And this one can't be a real one. So let's go to another one. <laughs> can't be a real. Well, it's from Dave. <laughs> I shouldn't even say this person's name, but. It's from the head of a religious organization in the town the religious organization has as its headquarters. So I don't believe it's a legitimate email. You think it's somebody It's somebody just taking off on somebody else, just putting on airs. I think so. Jim, any thoughts on Vince McMahon going to see Dave Chappelle? Uh, I was stunned. By what? That he went or by what he looked like in that photo? He was melting. No, I was stunned that he went to a show of some kind and that he was apparently smiling. Uh, Stephanie was there in the background. There was a picture of Dave Chappelle and Vince McMahon. Stephanie was in the background. I assume Stephanie and possibly triple H made him go. I, I know I was there for three years in Connecticut working in the office and, you know, doing the meetings with Vince, et cetera, et cetera. I know that he went to, a variety, a plethora of business meetings. I know that there was a couple of times, including, um, oh God, which one got married first, Shane or Steph? Shane. He went to Shane's wedding. Shane got married while I was up there. Um, I, I know that he would occasionally go to functions that it was necessary for a big business ty- typhoon to go to. I don't remember anybody ever saying that he went to a movie or a show or a live event or something for entertainment or that was just on a night off to do that. But I was only there for three years. Now, this is Dave Chappelle, a comedian. Was Vince in the comedy? Other than the Vince brand of no, this was not Vince's idea either. Vince McMahon did not, and I'm not knocking Dave. I love. I think Dave Chappelle's fucking hilarious, but I'm not saying because it's Dave Chappelle. I'm just saying it was not Vince McMahon did not utter the words. I would like to go to this show at this building on this night. My question was: Do you think he would have enjoyed it? Oh, he probably did once he was there. 
he might have, you know, looked at his watch a time or two, you know, to say, oh, how quick can we get out of here? We've got to get up early in the morning and work out. Um, but I know it had to be Stephanie, and th- there might even have been a business reason. Is some network they're doing business with, or did, were they trying to pitch something to Dave Chappelle? Or maybe Stephanie just said, you need to get out of the house, Dad. It's been, only been 40 years. You know, it is interesting. Get out of the if, house. I wonder if it all fits together. Vince is all of a sudden going to the Performance Center. He's obviously frustrated with the talent he's getting. All of a sudden, he's doing new things, like going to see Dave Chappelle at the Mohican Sun or whatever he's doing. And maybe maybe wherever the building was, maybe that's something that they're – I don't know. All I know is I don't think that this – at least the Vince that we all used to know, that these events have ever happened where Vince McMahon saw a commercial – or heard a radio advertisement or saw an advertisement in the newspaper for an entertainment event, not of his making and said, I want to go to that pal. Did you hear what Linda said about the Dave Chappelle show? I did not. She said, I'll be in Florida. <laughs> As usual. She, wait a she actually was going to go to the Dave Chappelle show when she found out Vince was going to be there. That's when she said, I'm going to Florida. Did Vince ever quote any comedians? Did he like any comedians? Did he have any punchlines that he remembered from Carson or anything? We, you know, there's a thing you could, you could talk to Vince about, and this was the nineties still, but you could talk to Vince about, he knew Johnny Carson, any Johnny Carson line or frame of reference, he would get that Laurel and Hardy or fields or the Marx brothers, the classics. Something that you would have assimilated into your consciousness the first 20 years of your life, just from living in the the world, right? But he wasn't up on anything, and I mean, look who this is coming from. Not like I stay up on everything, right? I, I like the old shit also, but it was like, you know, you, you weren't going to, I wasn't going to pop him with a family guy line. Right. M- much like I don't pop you with family guy lines. Well, you, you remind me a lot like Vince, but, um, but no, he, he knew, he knew references that you would make that everybody would make that, you know, has been alive in, in the sixties and seventies or whatever, but he wasn't like staying on the edge of who was doing what at that current moment. And I mean, well, remember he was, they, they tried to, they were going to have Joe Walsh, the Eagles, Joe Walsh play at some pay-per-view and he was, who he didn't, you know, it was too, if they'd have said, you know, maybe goddamn Frankie Valley, he might've got it, but this was in the late eighties though. So, but this is your show. That's right. I, I believe it is. And we have a popular topic just today as we are recording. The WWE has issued a tweet from the WWE PR Twitter account, public relations, of course. WWE and Bloomhouse, it could be Blumhouse, but I believe it would be Bloomhouse, <laughs> are partnering to develop a limited scripted series called The United States of America versus Vince McMahon. Oh, shit. I thought, wait a minute. I thought it was just a movie. uh, It's a a series? The series will be the first ever scripted dramatic portrayal of a chapter in WWE's history. And then there's an article here from The Hollywood Reporter. WWE chairman Vince McMahon, who has frequently played the heel, 
on that's in the Hollywood Reporter. That's crazy. <laughs> who has frequently played the heel on the company's wrestling shows will get to be the good guy in a scripted series. <laughs> Bloomhouse Television is partnering with WWE to develop a limited series based on McMahon's 1990s trial for allegedly supplying steroids to members of the WWE roster. The United States of America versus Vince McMahon will be the first scripted portrayal of a part of the company's history and the stars of that era. A quote from Blumhouse TV president, we have a dramatic, riveting saga. One that's riveting, crazy. Riveting. One that's crazier than fiction. That will appeal to the cross-section of Bloomhouse and WWE fans. To say I'm thrilled wait, about wait collaborating. Is, is there a cross-section of Bloomhouse and WWE fans? What is Bloomhouse? I'm clicking on their thing right now. We make night. You're clicking on their thing. Is on it their that Twitter, kind of site? On their Twitter page, it, oh. their description says, we make nightmares come true. <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah, well, there you go. A Vince McMahon babyface series. Vince <laughs> well, let's go back to this article here. Vince McMahon has inst- been instigating nightmares for 40 years. The potential series, which doesn't have a writer attached yet, will focus on the 1990s, when a series of New York Post stories alleged McMahon was supplying steroids to his wrestlers. The coverage caught the attention of the FBI and federal prosecutors in New York, who indicted McMahon on charges of possession of illegal steroids with intent to distribute and conspiracy to distribute steroids. Per the show's logline, quote, with his liberty at stake, two school-aged children at home. Wait a minute. What? Two school-aged children at home, and with the WWE on the brink of bankruptcy. What? Wait. <laughs> The brink of bankruptcy. They didn't the, the only year they ever lost money was three years in the future. Who was school age in 1994? What was Stephanie a senior in high school? No, I was 92, wasn't it? 94 was the trial. Well, that's true. Okay, 94. Shane would have been, uh, my God, Out in college. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, all right. Well, back to the uh, school age. Yeah, so- back to the school age children. McMahon refused to take a plea deal. Ultimately, McMahon stood trial and was acquitted unanimously by a jury of his peers and went on to build a multi-billion dollar global sports entertainment empire. McMahon, oh, here's a clarification. McMahon's son Shane was in college and occasionally working behind the scenes for WWE during the show's timeline. Daughter Stephanie was in high school. That is not school-age children. I'm sorry. Well, but yeah, but hold on. You're burying the 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 lead again in this. They're saying, I know that the Mushnick and and uh, several people in the New York media were uh, raking Vince over the coals. But the reason why he ended up on the government's radar was because of Zahorian, was Correct. it not? It wasn't Mushnick. It was Zahorian. Yes, and then the reporting by Mushnick and others was on the Zahorian connection and it then leading to, and let's face it for the government of the United States of America to have prosecuted or brought charges against Vince for that. When, when basically it was a billionaire boys club version of everything that guys at that work out together at gyms did at that point in time in every city in America. They're all fucking taking steroids and fucking lifting weights. It wasn't like Vince was 
the you know the operator of the cartel smuggling all these things in massive quantities from Colombia that the United States government really needed to go that far but having said that my god it the have, having Vince and his company co-produce a docu-series on his trial for shit he was accused of why didn't we get fucking Charlie and Squeaky to fucking help out on Helter Skelter. Is there any chance of getting any kind of impartial telling of this story on in either direction when the guy that was on trial is the executive producer of the fucking show? I wonder what OJ would have done had he been the executive producer of OJ Simpson versus America. Would the story have been different? Well, Vince isn't the only executive producer. McMahon will be an executive producer of the project, along with WWE's chief of global television distribution, Kevin Dunn. Well, well, oh, well, okay, Kevin will keep him straight. As well as several people from either Blumhouse yeah. or Bloomhouse. Jason Blum, it says here, but Jason, you could Jason pronounce it Blum. Blum from Bloomhouse. Yeah, I mean, it's a Jewish name, so I've seen it a lot in my life, but you could pronounce it two different ways, so you never know how someone pronounces it. Well, the it. Blum is off of the rose on this one already, I think. And I've never heard of this production company. The collaboration with the WWE is the latest foray into scripted TV for Blumhouse or Bloomhouse, whose previous productions include HBO's Sharp Objects, Showtime's The Loudest Voice, and The Good Lord Bird, and NBC's upcoming The Thing About Pam, starring Renee Zellwinger. They've also landed the rights to Patricia Cornwell's <laughs> novel. Uh, well, well, they're developing something with Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> and then after that, what was what was that one TV series? The thing the, about Pam. No, back in starring at the Tim start. Horner and Pam. No, uh, <laughs> the Good Lord Bird. Oh, and keep going. What was the other the one? The loudest voice. What was the other one? Sharp objects. Sharp objects. That's what it was. And it'll be followed by a sequel. Loud noises. <laughs> and then smelly farts. We'll round out the primetime lineup on Saturdays. Do you think they're going to have like a a fake Alpha in the series sitting there mouthing the words not guilty to the jury box? <laughs> like it actually happened in the fucking I think it was Alpha. It could have been Sika, but it was one of the two wild Samoans sat there and started mouthing the words not guilty to the fucking jury it had to be brought out of the courtroom <laughs> i'm so jealous georgia Micropolis was there every day she was yeah, in she the went to cover it right yeah. she was in there every day and just what a shit show it sounded like for the prosecution just relying on these wrestling people like nails to prove that vince mcmahon had done anything they couldn't tell the truth straight <laughs> and it, I'd say he wasn't, he wasn't mouthing not guilty. He was, he was, he wasn't booked that week. So he was working on his second job. He was trying to do ventriloquism. He was throwing his <laughs> voice. Uh, but I can't wait to see this, this fine docu-series about this, uh, not a momentous event no. in American history. A scripted series or scripted series or whatever. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it'll be heavily scripted. They can't do wrestling without scripting it. I wonder they're going to, since a movie script is supposed to be complete with stage direction and, you know, uh, uh, everything just minutely written down to a T. I wonder, since they're 
used to doing that for wrestling if they're going to have to tell the people in the TV series when they can take a shit and when they're supposed to drink a cup of coffee and whatever. Off camera as well. We'll keep you updated on those things as they continue to happen, won't we? There was a the WWE investors call, the conference call, where they tell everybody how they're doing and pep all the stockholders up on the unlimited future that the company has and et cetera, uh, revealed a little bit this week about what Vince McMahon thinks about AEW and situation possibly with some of his talent going to work for him. And Brian, it sounded remarkably similar to something that I have been saying or said several weeks ago and have said on a couple of different occasions. Did it, did it to you? It sounded like what he was saying publicly is like what you said he was probably thinking. Yes. Well, what he said, what he said publicly was that AEW is not competent, but they don't consider them competition, which he said that about everybody except for WCW in the late nineties, which was competition, but he said that about, so that's nothing groundbreaking, but I liked the, the closing comment when the guy had asked, well, AEW is investing heavily in talent. And, uh, should you be doing that? Or, uh, I forget how exactly how it was phrased, but should you be investing heavily in talent also? Or, uh, or, you know, do you think that that's something you should be doing? Should you be running with what you've got or whatever? And Vince came out and basically said, and you could kind of tell he was rolling his, I can detect even with Vince's voice being older and not as quite as commanding as it used to. I can still tell when he's getting his eye rolling expression verbally. He was talking about them investing heavily in talent. He said, maybe we can help him out with that a little bit. I'm not surprised he says they're not competition because let's face it, in the global scheme of things, they're not competition. They're an annoyance on television, but it's not like a fight for existence like uh, WCW under Turner in 98 or 90, 97 or 98 was. But he wouldn't have said that if he wasn't happy that they're going out and breaking the bank for everybody they can sign especially if he's done with them. Now that, yes, I understand people. Well, he always says nobody else's competition usually because it's true, but how did that strike you? And he's, well, we can help them with their talent investments. I mean, in a sense, it struck me the way you're saying it, but in another sense, it struck me as trying to publicly say that AEW is no threat whatsoever. I've been very vocal about my problems with AEW's booking and various issues, but as a business, they've got a lot of momentum. Look at the ticket sales just the last few days. There's a lot going on for Vince to just completely dismiss them like that and then say what he said about talent. I don't know. I mean, the other thing you got to remember is it's one thing if your strategy is I'm going to dump all my talent on this person and they're going to invest so much money in them, they're not going to be able to do anything. That doesn't work when it's a kid with no board of directors who has unlimited capital. If his dad's attitude is really, I'm going to give you your inheritance now or a portion of it and just go have fun and do what you're doing. And beyond the video game division, he is making a profit. I mean, he's doing something right with that. So I think, I think Vince's strategy at AEW has been wrong the whole time, maybe, but I understand why publicly he would try to completely dismiss them at a time where, they're right now, I mean, they've never had more momentum than they have right now, P- 
pizza incident or not. <laughs> Which we'll, we'll cover later on with our uh, Domino's Pizza-sponsored review of AEW. Uh, but well, now you say his his way of of dealing with them has been wrong all along. Does that mean that he should not then have originally given guys more money to probably than he ever would have given them to stay? Does that count in being wrong also until he saw what he was dealing with and then said, "Well, we'll probably stop doing that." Well, look at the guys that were offered that big money to stay. Would any of them have hurt WWE to leave? Would any of them have greatly helped AEW when AEW was first starting? And now that we know how what would happen to AEW several months after a TV show would start due to the pandemic and how everything really changed, who? Gallows and Anderson? They ended up there anyway. If they were really offered all that money back then and Tony Khan got them for less now, he got a better deal out of the whole thing. But Vince, the money they were offering them to keep them like they were a game changer was ridiculous. It really was. And, but they were offering everybody. Everyone, I'm using them as an example, and I think it was stupid. I mean, I think it's one thing if it is a Brian Danielson or a Daniel Bryan. I think it's one thing if it is a Cena, Randy Orton, who ended up resigning for five years. I believe I I could be wrong. That's one thing. But when they were offering all this money to these guys that are not difference makers, that's when it was like, what are you doing? Well, that's why they quit doing it. Yeah, well, they quit doing it when they realized it didn't make a difference, and they also blew it with NXT against them. Either don't run against them or go full bore against them. They got will, they were wishy washy. That yeah, they they should have brought more uh, talent from the other two shows across to get some of those guys established in the people's eyes, and they didn't do that. They just let the the C team do their thing, which which actually. Does that show something that the C team with only a couple of stars being brought back, Finn Balor, uh, just doing their thing without hot shotting, come within a couple hundred thousand viewers of the other program doing everything they possibly can? Um, maybe that that's what they wanted to see. I don't know. We shall find out. We shall but find I, it, out. It, it, it appears that Vince is willing to send some more people over to Tony, especially if he's finished with him. Hey, if that's Vince's attitude with a big show or a Mark Henry or even a Christian, I can understand it. If that's his attitude with an Aleister Black, then his attitude's wrong. You know, that that guy. Um, and I'm using may, him as an example for other guys. Well, like, yes. Yeah. But he may actually, he may get over until they do something stupid with him. He uh he seems to have the intensity and he's a he's a very weird looking chap. And he was there for a long time and he had a great look and he did some cool things in the ring and for whatever reason with me it didn't connect. And I think a lot of it was the way he was used. We haven't even seen him work a match yet. I'm more interested in him now than I've ever been in him in him before. But I mean there's an example. Vince gave up this talent. They picked him up. You know, FTR Time will tell in the long run what that move was, but I don't that, know. I, I, that, I, that move was to hide the people that embarrass the young bucks and show them, show the world that they don't know what they're doing. That, that's the only thing that could have been. 
I mean, well, be, just you know, again, bring them in, have the match. Boom. We're done. No rematches, no program, no series between the two greatest teams in the world. Just let's get that win. And then you guys, you can wrestle on TV in another few months. And again, to my philosophy that Tony doesn't have anything to worry about in terms of budget. If it's a game of chicken to see who's going to raise the salaries of wrestlers, Tony does have the capabilities to just say, I'll hire whoever. And then Vince is going to have to deal with that. I mean, it is a dangerous game of chicken if Vince wants to say that, oh, you know, they could have whatever talent. It doesn't matter. Vince can't create stars like he used to. Well, but do you think that he's got everybody that he gives a shit about locked up for the next couple of years long enough that he thinks, well, this whole thing has got to blow up sooner or later? Well, we haven't heard about a five-year deal. I'm not saying it haven't been signed recently. We haven't heard about a renewal that I could think of in the last several months. Randy Orton was, what, two years ago, so he would still have three years left on his contract. Other guys probably in that range, if they re-signed at that point in time. It will all be very interesting how it all plays out. But, you know, if you want to criticize AEW and their talent, that's one thing. But when you're Vince McMahon doing it, and I've seen your TV in the last couple of years. <laughs> he ain't doing himself any favors, is he? Yeah, you're not exactly a wizard anymore, buddy. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Our next question, sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com. From Samuel, The Undertaker recently said on Broken Skull Sessions that Vince McMahon was, quote, not a Flair guy. Both him and Stone Cold were talking about Flair being the wrestler's favorite wrestler. In the WWE Network Ruthless Aggression documentary series, one of the focal points was Triple H restoring Rick's confidence. Does Vince not respect Flair? Honestly, it seems like Vince has never really respected Rick the way 99.9% of the industry does. Yes and no. Vince respects Rick as a person, at least as much as he respects anybody. I know some people are going to say, well, he had him doing the angle with his daughter and, and Lena Horn, <laughs> but no, Lacey Evans. Vince respects who Rick Flair has been, what he's done, his longevity, the dedication he's had to the business, the fact that he was the the guy for the only opposition that, that Vince had there for quite a while, etc. Vince never liked Ric Flair's style of wrestling or style of matches, and he wouldn't be Rick Flair, he wouldn't be Vince McMahon's favorite wrestler or even in the top fifty. Vince McMahon's favorite kind of wrestler was Hulk Hogan. The exact antithesis. Vince has always wanted to make it entertainment. Vince has always wanted to make it cartoon characters or the male soap opera or all the other nom de plumes that Vince has come up with to describe what he does instead of wrestling. It's all about the marketing and the merchandising and the dropping the pretense of it being real. We don't want to insult our audience. That's all been Vince. And Hulk Hogan was perfect for that. And Flair was not. Because Flair got over by trying to make people believe in him, in his matches, in the business, in whatever. So Vince has been very nice and accommodating to Rick. He's released Rick when Rick asked more times than he's released any other talent I can think of that's ever worked for him on purpose. Um, And at the talent's request. Because the first time Rick went up there, he told him and he kept his word. Vince told Rick, if I ever come to the point where I don't want to use you as 
a top guy, the top guy, I don't know how it was phrased, in the in the title picture, I'll give you your release. And about a year later, that time came and he did. And he went back and Flair went back to WCW. But no, Vince does not like that kind of wrestling for whatever reason. The, the good shit, he always wanted it to be entertainment, theme parks. He said he wanted to be the Walt Disney of wrestling. He wasn't concerned about the credibility of the business. It's all entertainment. It's all a show. So that is completely opposite of everything that Flair's whole gimmick and way of working stood for. And it's just not the kind of wrestling that Vince likes for what any, he liked Bret Hart, but you know, but goddamn, if you leave Vince to, and when he has Bret Hart in front of him, he'll use Bret Hart, but he, when you leave Vince to his own devices, he'll go to a Hulk Hogan or an ultimate warrior. And that's why the audiences have always been so different either WWF in the eighties and against NWA WWF in the nineties against WCW or now, unfortunately the audiences are still different WWE versus AEW, but the WWE product is now the believable one. So, but that's, that's what it's, it's not that he doesn't respect the guy, but he, you know, he's never liked that kind of matches. He would rather have promoted Hulk Hogan versus the ultimate warrior than Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat. Even if the gates were the same, I think. Makes you wonder what he would have done with Flair if he had gotten him in either 85 or 88. I don't, I I don't think we would be sitting here talking about Ric Flair still being a fucking guy that's asking for his release to go to other places because it, he wouldn't have had the timelessness Rick needed to be at a place where he could be Rick, not be a member of a cast of performers. All right, Jim, our final question. I which, by the way, week. before oh. we get to that, which, by the way, is what doomed him on his first time in 91 because they brought him in and immediately made Ric Flair one of the boys on the on the roster instead of the outsider that he went in as. Remember when they had the whole yeah. stink over suing? Over the belt, they just dropped the whole thing, and he became a member of the the roster, and and that was it. The way to bring him in at that point was the outside disruptor, and the other side got it right five years later when they did the same thing with Vince guys, Vince's guys, but did it right. I was about to think of this question, but I think I know the answer. I'll just ask you just in case. WCW made more money with Flair versus Hogan than Vince did, right? Yes. Much yes. more. Yes. Yeah. Because those people had especially been waiting to see it. But the problem is WCW at that point had been taken over by Turner and they thought Hogan was the, the fucking deal. So they fucked it up. The people had been waiting to see Flair versus Hogan to see Ric Flair kick the shit out of Hulk Hogan. All the WCW fans, all the NWA fans. My God, if, you, if you'd have had Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan in 1986 in Charlotte, it would have sold out and Flair would have been a Raven babyface. Because those people wanted to see him kick shit out of Hulk Hogan. The WWF fans probably wanted to see Hogan leg drop Flair, but not nearly as much as the NWA fans wanted to see Ric Flair kick shit out of Hulk Hogan. But then when they finally had it in WCW, Hulk Hogan still kicked the shit out of Ric Flair. And those fans, most of them didn't like it. (laughs) 
Anyway. Yeah, I'm not sure at the end Flair liked it either when he was told, oh, by the way, you're about to lose a retirement match. Yeah. What? No, and, and it got to the point where Flair was tired of it too, as well as the fans. They had to, they, they made the mistake of thinking because Hogan and all of the ex-WWF guys in WCW in the 90s, Hall and Nash, were such huge stars in their previous environment and then were brought in in a top spot they forgot that ultimately the fans of their product would like to win in the end. But in this case, the invaders and the people from outside, the outsiders, the foreigners, not our guys, but the ones that are against us, they ended up winning everything. That's what ran the fucking company out of business. <laughs> that would be like Vince hiring all the AEW guys and having the AEW guys come in and kick the shit out of his guys, not just the first time around to get heat and set up a rivalry, but over and over and in the end. Jesus Christ. Can I just real quick before we move on with the show? Yes. My yes. Survivor Series notes, you know, you take notes, I usually don't. Yes. I did for this one. I wrote five things down, my five takeaways from Survivor Series as they were happening. Number one, The Rock. We just talked about that. Yeah. Number two, mysterious chance. We talked about that. That's why I thought we should go through this now. Number three, the camera work, which is so counterproductive and so bad. The moving too much, the switches nonstop. The guy throws a punch. By the time he lands the punch, it's a different camera shot. Right. It's so bad. Roman yelling at no one during the main event. I'm sure we'll get there. <laughs> and then Vince's eye job and Botox. Well, let's go ahead and talk about it now, then. I, I'm not concerned about the eye job and the Botox. I started to say the bow job and the eye tox. The <laughs> bow job. The <laughs> bow job and the eye tox. I'm not. I'm, what's happened to his voice? Is he, is he losing some cognitive? He seemed like when he was sitting there talking, like when Roman Reigns came in the office and they shook hands. That he was staring off camera at either, is it a, I hesitate to say a cue card, or just is he looking at himself on a monitor, or he wasn't looking at the person he was talking to, and he, he mumbles, hey, and, yeah. he, uh, and, he's, and he doesn't really... He, from the rock. Uh, rock uh, yes, it's uh, just, it's grumbling and mumbling, and, and I mean, he used to be the, not only the forceful voice, but to get to the point voice and the and now i i'm struggling to understand what he's saying i so that worries me as far as it, it and when he got out of the limo and he held the the egg up <laughs> and, and well, hold, all on. The, hold on someone listening may have no idea what you're talking about when you say the egg all right apparently the one of the plot points in the red notice movie is they've got this golden egg and I don't know if it's the central thing in the theme of the movie or what. Maybe Alfred Hitchcock would call it the MacGuffin. It's just the reason for other things to happen. But the egg figured in the cold open because it figures in the movie. And then Vince, a limousine shows up, as you mentioned. And people are there. Well, maybe is it The Rock? Maybe it's The Rock. The guy they've been maybe building the up rock. the whole show. <laughs> yeah. No, well, no, it's Vince. Vince gets out of the limo. But then there's a bunch of the talent that didn't make the card standing in the back, and as soon as they see it's Vince, they scream and yell and pop with the fakest, yay, he's here, 
that you've ever heard in your life. And then he goes, wait, wait, wait. And he reaches in and he comes out with this egg. Like he, he shows it like it's the goddamn, I don't know, the Ark of the Covenant. And then they don't pop right away. So he has to wave on camera. Come on. And then they pop and scream again. And then he walks off like he's doing a parody of what Vince used to do. And so that's the egg. And then the egg is it. I guess we'll just get rid of all the egg business now. And then we'll just go through the matches. Later on, Roman Reigns comes into Vince's office. They shake hands. And that's why I mentioned Vince is mumbling and whatever. But he's talking about the egg was given to him by the rock and hundred million he was hundred million dollars he was well yeah he was trying to tell some and i've never heard vince not be able to explain a story or this is the guy that could talk anybody in the wrestling business including me he's done it too he could talk anybody in the wrestling business out of doing something they wanted to do and instead make them want to do something that he wanted them to do. And now he can't convey this story. He was trying to say that the rock came here. Roman's cousin with $7 in his pocket, seven bucks productions. And now he's a movie star. And, but at the same time, he gave Vince this egg. I swear to God that Vince says the egg is worth a hundred million dollars. If they'd, if, 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 I guess The Rock could give somebody something worth a couple of million dollars and not really probably feel it too bad. But if he gave it to him 25 years ago or whatever, he just said he just had $7 in his pocket a minute ago. So when did he get this? After he became a, a movie star? Well, he hadn't been in the WWF. I, you see where I'm going. It made no sense. And it's a $100 million egg is what Vince is saying. So they couldn't even say it's worth a million dollars, which would have been fine for this because nobody's going to believe it anyway. But they have to really get the fucking scoff laughing going. So then later on, Adam Pierce and Sonya Deville are sitting in Vince's office and Vince walks in with his red cell phone in his hand and sits down and starts talking to him and looks over and the egg is gone. And and I don't know what it is about Survivor Series and eggs with Vince. And, 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 and it's not like they wrote this from scratch because the movie had to have an egg in it. But the movie came out with an egg in it. Perfect time to sponsor Survivor Series. So 35 years after they laid the first egg, they could lay another one. And so now the egg is gone. And he tells Cruella DeVille and Adam Pierce, well... If you can't find the egg, then everybody has to get together all the stars from Raw and SmackDown tomorrow. And he, I, I'm saying this with more forcefulness than he did. And we're going to get to the bottom of this, and I'm going to find my egg. My $100 million egg. Can you believe this? No. No, we can't, Vince. And it turns and, out, when he's looking for his $100 million egg, that's his nickname for Linda. Hey! I would think she would be the $100 million anchor. But anyway, um, so... <laughs> This fucking egg is is worth $100 million and is missing, and they tease on a pay-per-view, they tease the resolution on the on Raw the following night, which which basically, let's go ahead and, and reveal the climax of this 
ridiculousness. They had everybody going through looking like idiots, fi- trying to find this $100 million egg and looking for it. Everybody's got to play along with this thing. And then apparently Austin Theory just walked into Vince's office and said, hey, Vince, I want to take a selfie with the egg. I got it. It's right here. Oh, well, I like the cut of your jib. Uh, they, 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 contract. They, uh, yeah, they put him uh, in a title match. Title match. Uh, title match. Biggie, I'm title match. Uh, uh, uh. And that was the dispensation of it. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, that was it. it not, no, oh my God, line him up and shoot him at sunrise. He stole my hundred million dollars. Oh, you wanted a selfie? Okay. Oh, I, you got guts. Here, here's a title match. Thank you for my egg. Uh, egg. <laughs> I got to stop doing that voice. <laughs> what did they say to you? You know, Austin Theory stole the egg. This is a big moment. Like who ran over the rock and you know all these various mysteries. And wrestling, do you think, I mean, you talked about what you saw in Austin Theory when we started watching him in NXT. Yeah. Before all the silliness and whatever he's wearing now, when we just saw the raw talent as it was appearing on NXT. Obviously, Vince sees something in him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is that what this is? Is this Vince's way of saying, I, I see something in you, take my egg. Like, we'll do this on TV. I guarantee you Why would they do is. this? What is I this? I guarantee you it is. And now you see a lot of people have seen the danger of Vince not seeing anything in them. Now you see the danger of Vince seeing something in you. Because, uh, again, I said Austin Theory all around from top to bottom from what I saw in NXT for a guy, what is he, 21 years old or whatever the case? He's young, yeah. Um, The best instincts, timing, basics, flawless, you know, fucking execution of shit. He's a prodigy. He's got the size, he's got the look, he's got the, the swagger to him. So, yeah, he's a future superstar. And, uh, I mean, say what you want about Vince. Even, even if he's in a, the advanced stages of brain rot, he's seen a lot of wrestling talent. He can still see it. So now the problem is he's probably seen this in Austin Theory also. and He's decided this is the way that he might get him over. He, I, I don't, I don't, hopefully we've seen, we've seen the last of the egg. Certainly Uh, we've seen the last of the egg. I love my egg. Uh, Rock. Uh. (laughs) It's like they just pushed him onto the set. Here, go this way. Sit down. Now read these cards. It's like Bob Hope. He's looking at the cue cards. (laughs) Oh my God. Hey, that, you know, toward the end, they, they were contractually, do you know what story I'm going to tell? I think so. But they were it. contractually obligated on the Tonight Show to bring Bob Hope out once or twice a year, whenever, because Bob Hope was NBC for 20 years, right? But then Johnny Carson took over as Bob's health was failing and the ratings were going down on the holiday specials and the tributes to the troops and everything. And Hope was both nearly deaf and surly on these appearances. So <laughs> Carson hated it and would, would then finally had to have hope on when there were guest hosts because he couldn't get a flow of a conversation with him because hope either couldn't hear him or didn't want to answer the question and was just grumpy with everybody. And it appears that Vince is entering that stage of the fucking game. I gotta tell you. Uh, uh, and- So anyway, so Austin got the egg. But back to Survivor Series. Our next question, Jim, sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Ben Clark in Wisconsin. 
When watching different Hall of Fame videos on YouTube, I couldn't help but think of this question. Do you think Vince McMahon will be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame before he steps down as CEO and or passes away? Or will he still be too unselfish as he sometimes tends to be regarding his company? I don't think it's that. Um, he couldn't help but thinking of that question, huh? I wish you'd have tried to help yourself a little harder. Uh, no, Vince will never go in the Hall of Fame as long as he's still alive. That is, that is one thing he constantly tells everybody. He gets mad if they don't listen. He doesn't want anybody to thank him on their acceptance speeches. And I don't know if it's because, I mean, let's face it, Vince has a fairly healthy ego. I don't know if it's because he wants to be humble and lovable like Shoeshine Boy or just he knows the way the boys are. And he, he, I think from a standpoint of how the fans, the viewers, the people at home would take it, if every son of a bitch comes out and the first thing they do is thank Vince McMahon, then he thinks it ruins the viewing experience and gets heat on him with the viewer. And so he has just banned that activity. He doesn't want anybody to thank Vince. And, and he gets mad if they slip and do. Did you go to that Cauliflower Alley Club when they were doing it on the East Coast in the mid-late 90s? I think it was 96, maybe. Yeah, 97, I think. I have a plaque, yes, from that. Where they surprised Vince to some extent. He thought they were doing something just to honor his dad, and instead they honored him, and he gave a nice little speech. Okay, well, then maybe that, that, maybe that wasn't the one. They did another one I was at, but I don't remember Vince being there. It was at that point where WCW was starting to kick his ass, and Vince was off the gas. And he looked skinny <laughs> and he was humble. And it was like, wow, you know, like, what's going on here? He's being nice. Even Luthes is like, you know, I work for you. I work for your father. Hopefully one day I get to work for Shane. You know, Shane's there thinking he's going to take over, poor kid. But yeah, that was, uh, Vince didn't know apparently they were going to honor him. They had to do a sneak attack. Hey, that used to backfire sometimes on the old, uh, this is your life. Every once in a while, they'd get somebody that, fuck you, I'm going home. And he'd leave. Um, yeah, um, these questions I'm trying, I'm not, see, like, it's like, there are certain things where people are like, why doesn't he ask Jim about this? Because Jim doesn't want to talk about CMLL, and he doesn't know anything about CMLL. Hey, who are you to tell these people I'm ignorant? Do you want to talk about CMLL? I don't know anything about it. Okay, that's what I thought. All right, here's a question. This Where was... have you gone, Charlie from Starkville? The nation turns its lonely ears to you. Vince McMahon Jr. Now, of course, he's a case like Rey Mysterio Jr. where they were a junior, and then all of a sudden they weren't a junior. Well, he's technically not a junior because he's the son of the elder Vince McMahon, but he has a different middle name, which is why that he's always chafed at being called Junior. It's a technicality that no one ever thought of until he started bringing it up. Well, and and also, it's even calling him Junior is better than what they used to when his father was still alive and all the people who knew his dad, even after his father passed away, they called him Vinny. Hey, where's Vinny? Vinny! Gary Capetta still calls him that. There you go. And 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 especially now the people who at one time did because that was what they called him. Now they enjoy calling him that because they know he doesn't like it. And, you know, his dad would call him that. 
The best is like in 84, 85, after Vince Sr. had passed and Lou Albano was still drinking. <laughs> and you just, Vinny Jr., Vinny Jr. You know, he was getting a double header. Albano got double heat. <laughs> and you knew McMahon hated it. You just knew it. Every time he called him Vinny Jr. I think he actually did it before that when McMahon Sr. was alive. That was probably his only protection. He says that. Why can't I say that? Vinny Jr. It's like calling him douchebag von fuckface. Are you getting it both? As a, <laughs> okay, I did. I don't remember who this was for, and hopefully they're not listening. But I did one <laughs> of those private signings one time at one of the Legends of the Ring conventions. And it was like 3,000 eight by tens. And I did this over a couple of nights in the hotel room while I was shooting video. And then we did the convention or whatever. I barely finished these things. And I was so tired and so slappy going in the downhill stretch of the thing. When I turned it back into the guy, there's out of those 3,000 eight by tens, 2,999 of them are signed Jim Cornette. But one eight by ten in the middle of the stack somewhere is signed douchebag von fuckface. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I tickled myself to no end, thinking who's gonna be the one to get the autographed douchebag von fuckface photo. It could be valuable now. Now maybe I've made it a collector's item. This next one, and I'm gonna tell you, we got a ton of questions all of a sudden about Vince McMahon the last several weeks. So let's read a few of them. This one was sent to Quinny Drive Through at gmail.com from Clint in Campbell River, British Columbia, Canada. I love the shows and listen every week. Keep up the great work. You're sitting in Castle Cornet one day and the phone rings. Oh boy, a lot of problems start with that. The caller ID says Vince McMahon. You answer. And Vince says, Jim, my product has been in the shitter for a long time now. Can you give me five things which will improve my ratings, popularity, and overall quality? Sounds like a Vince sentence if I've ever heard one. Yes. What would you suggest? I'd suggest, what's the questioner's name? Clint in Campbell River, British Columbia, Canada. Clint, I suggest the same thing that I would suggest to Vince, to you. Send me $100,000 in small unmarked bills and I'll do the work to come up with the answer to that question. But right off the top of my head, um, I mean, we talk about it. There's no quantifiable five things or whatever, but we talk about it every week. Not only does nobody believe this shit anymore, they, they don't believe the people involved in this shit and the program that they're putting on in the WWE with the people that nobody believes in or cares about is also boring and it's fucking homogenized and pasteurized and cleaned up and scrubbed up and everybody all the talent for the most part except the few that stand out try to work the same way and talk the same way because they're written for the same way and they're trained the same way and the creative sucks because it's not anything anybody gives a shit about. It's these hokey fucking entertainment stories. If, if All you need to give wrestlers is a believable reason to be mad at each other. You don't need to have 16 writers concocting a goddamn full-length feature motion picture backstory 
Just make it something that people can get into and then let them go out and say some shit and do some shit on their own. Like we used to, Vince. You know, but the advice that I would give him to make a better wrestling product would probably be the antithesis of what the homogenized, pasteurized entity in corporate America that is going to purchase this thing and turn it into a goddamn a Cirque du Soleil theme park would want to begin with. They don't care about what wrestling fans want to see. And they somewhat consider themselves the only game in town, which they used to be and kind of still are on a worldwide basis. And they're not going to change it because to change it would to be to offend some sponsors because something was real enough that somebody got a little upset or somebody said something they shouldn't say. <clears throat> it would be to fire three quarters of the creative team and just let the boys find some guys that can do their own shit and then let them do it. They don't want to do any of that stuff that would make the product easier for wrestling fans to watch. They have, I guess, you know, cornered the market on the amount of people that are going to watch boring sports entertainment and they're serving those people well and they're getting big contracts from the networks without doing a good show that needs to sell any tickets or draw any massive ratings. So why the fuck would he listen? Plus, how long do you, Brian, do you think that that Vince is going to be? It, I, I, I don't know why he would be looking any far. How old is he now? Is he 77? I'll check the exact age. Why is he looking farther than three years down the road? He knows he's going to sell it by then. He just, he probably wants to put his last imprint on the thing by fucking up NXT and training the next year or two's worth of guys to all be 90s cartoon WWF Saturday morning syndication bullshit gimmicks. 76. Okay, so he's got maybe four years before he's 80. And then he's communicating through a, a tube that's stuck for, through his left nostril. And he has to blow out boogers with messages for the fucking staff. This has been Jim Cornette's advice for Vince McMahon. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the... That's what I'm saying. A long time before I am 76 years old, you will not be seeing or hearing from my fucking formerly fat white ass anymore. Here would be my advice. Find some new friends. Also, go ahead and meet somebody and do something. Do something away from all this. Go to a movie. Do something else. Those are... My pieces of advice. I can't see Vince McMahon getting in his car and driving down the road to a movie theater and going up and buying a ticket and just walking in and seeing a movie. I'm trying to imagine that, and I can actually I can see in my mind's eye more clearly and believably the Venusians landing and forcing all of us to give them their rim jobs. Then see Vince McMahon just go to a movie one afternoon. You know those Venusians are big on the rim jobs. You said their rim jobs, like it's yeah. Well, they're, they're known to them. That's there's... their thing. 
You know them Venusians and their rib jobs. I'll tell you what. Nothing well, better. Getting from Jeff Hardy to the 86 Mets is no longer the wildest transition mid-subject here on the show. Getting from Vince McMahon to Venusian rim jobs definitely wins now. This has been advice for Vince McMahon. Yes, I don't know what to tell him. I don't know what to tell him anymore. It's, I mean, the whole thing's shot anyway. The whole thing's shot. We can't get the wrestling back. It's just a varying degree of how offensive is the sports entertainment going to be. Let's get our next question here, Jim. This one was sent on Twitter using a hashtag corny drive through from Grant Cameron. Grant Cameron over down under. Over down under. Over down under. Roger, Captain Over. Greg Cameron sent it on Twitter an article. But here's the question. What are Jim Cornette's thoughts on Elias's reported reboot plans being nixed because he looked too much like Randy Savage? Also, is there any heat between Vince and Lanny Poffo? Let me click this link. From the reputable source WrestlingNews.co. Actually, they're just retweeting someone else named WrestleVotes on Twitter who apparently has some scoops. Who who heard from a second-hand source in a third-hand clothing store. Let WrestleVotes know, quick! Interesting note on Elias. Source states that they had no end plan for graveyard vignettes. Just shot them to kill off the music gimmick. His initial rebranding week... Is this English? Is this real life? I don't understand what's being said here. His initial rebranding weeks back looks looked too similar, well, again, the spelling is bad, to Randy Savage with colorful trunks and beards so Vince and company didn't like it. Back to square one. Any thoughts on whatever this is? <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I mean, here's part of the problem. Part of the problem is we have avoided Elias like the crotch rot plague for quite some time. If they were going to reboot him or repackage him or in any way change what he had been doing before, I'm all in favor of that. Uh, because what he was doing before was fucking rotten. Fucking rotten. But I, I haven't seen what it was. So I don't know how close it really was to Randy Savage or whether Vince just got a wild hair up his ass and said, oh, he looks like Randy Savage. Or wait, wait a minute, you do it, Brian, in the Vince voice. He looks like Randy Savage. Which Vince? Young Vince? Medium? Old Vince. Okay. Current I can, Vince. I can do different eras of Vince at different points. Do the current Vince talking about. Ah, macho egg. He looks too much like macho egg. Ah. Well, that was over easy. Turkey. <laughs> Turkey. Anyway, Elias, what else is he get? Why? If they didn't like what he was doing, why did they make him do it all this time? Because it was stupid. You get a guy that can play a guitar. I can't play the guitar. So that, that is a talent. But I don't know why it has to be the thing that you hang your hat on on this fucking guy. And the majority of times that we saw him, he was either playing the guitar and threatening to wrestle or pretty much that's it. His days and, were numbered once they found another guitar player to put on TV. Well, yeah. And then they get another, so they got two, you know, maybe they ought to have the outlaws, the guitar army, just team them all up together. But no, I, if they were going to change Elias's gimmick, I'm in favor of that. Um, <laughs> apparently they didn't like the change either. 
if I was him, I'd be, uh, boy, today would be a great time to have a Code Academy spot. I'd be looking for a new career. Well, speaking of which, here's another Vince question, Jim. This one was sent to CourtneyDriveThru at gmail.com from Charlie in Starkville, Mississippi. Okay, wait a minute. Hold on. Excuse There's me. The, the official air raid warning. How long has it been? We made it all of last week. I'm wondering if it was a two-week run without Charlie from Starkville. And, and I understand his brother's on the FBI's most wanted list. Well, here's his question. Hi, Jim. Dustin Rhodes recently said Vince McMahon didn't think much of a potential Cody versus Dustin match at WrestleMania. Dustin said, quote, Vince would always tell me this match is not good enough for WrestleMania. Oh, God. That pissed me off. That pissed me off bad. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Vince thinking Cody versus Dustin wasn't good enough for WrestleMania? Well, especially after we saw it and it ended up being probably the best professional classic professional wrestling match that's yet been presented in AEW. Um, Vince was wrong. If I can see him saying it, I would have, if I was Vince, who I just shuddered as I thought that he could have been a little nicer. He could have said, Dustin, here's a, it's so hard to pull off brother versus brother. I don't know the people would believe it. And then not only that, but how do you come back from it? You know, we just, and just just told Dustin he didn't want to do brother versus brother to say the match would not be good enough for WrestleMania, especially considering some of the matches that we've seen on WrestleMania. I know this this had to be what seven eight years ago, probably that he said that, or somewhere in that time frame. But still, Dustin and Cody on what was it, it was the was that the first. AEW pay-per-view, or was that the uh, the little crowdfunding thing that they did that, that no. started the ball rolling? No, because that one was Cody with the NWA title. I think this was the second one. This was the first all-out, double or nothing, I think. Whatever it was. Yes, they've had more d- dramatic athletic matches, and yes, they've had a different variety now, but still, that the for classic old-fashioned professional wrestling, that's the best match that AEW has presented. So it was way better than a lot of matches that have been at WrestleMania. Now, would it have drawn in that environment, and would they have had the freedom to have that match? Probably not. So it was better they did it where they did it, especially if Vince didn't believe in it. But um, but that was a kind of a prickish thing to say. There were a couple of points I felt that the fans were ready for it, whether it was Cody versus Goldust or Stardust versus Goldust. They were ready for it. And I think the highlights of Cody's career in WWE, that brief period of time they let him have Dusty, and Dusty was great, and then he went off script against Stephanie, and they never let Dusty say another word on TV ever again. But that was the first time Cody was really interesting. and then. They had been kind of teasing Cody versus Dustin and never did anything with it. And like you said, I'm not the biggest Cody fan. I certainly wasn't a big Stardust fan, but it would have been a lot more interesting than some of the other crap they have on there. And it ended up being a great match for AEW. Well, and I I guess actually since they gave it the attention they gave it, it wouldn't even have been that it wouldn't have drawn in that environment. It just they wouldn't have been able to have as good a match as they had in that environment because they wouldn't have been allowed to. 
Are you surprised that Vince, if we are to believe this quote, that Vince was so blunt with Dustin? No. <laughs> um, Vince can blunt, can blurt out some bluntness. Um, sometimes when you don't expect it to be coming, if he's just in the right mood and he, he may have uh, gotten up on the wrong side of the garage door opener that morning or something. Well, as I said, Vince has been a very popular topic. Here's another one that was sent in. This was sent to, this was sent on Twitter using a hashtag corny drive through from Ira Gentry. Has Jim ever seen Vince do anything like this? And it has a quote from a Freddie Prince Jr. interview. Now, Freddie well, Prince Jr. I thought there was going to be a picture that I was going to have to refer to or like this. Go ahead. Freddie Prince Jr., the son of the Chico and the Man star, Freddie he Prince. Was, he was on the writing team for a while. That's right. Enough. That's yes. right. Which which shows that apparently his father's legacy did not translate to a big career in Hollywood for poor Freddie, and as a result, he was on the WWF writing team. Well, he's been doing interviews and talking about various things, and or at least he's done this one interview, and there have been various quotes. I'm really not sure, but I've seen several stories, and this one has stuck out, and obviously people have sent it in, like Ira Gentry right here on Twitter. Here's the quote. Freddie Prince Jr. says, Vince once told Seamus and Wade Barrett to act like dogs. During a promo class, <laughs> the quote, Wade takes the first step. He growls. And as soon as he growls, Vince gets up and yells, not an actual fucking dog, son of a bitch. And he storms out of the room. <laughs> he came back and said, let's try again. Seamus is going to be the baby face dog. And he starts talking. He said, I'm a good old dog. I'm loyal. And Vince said, just forget the whole damn thing and storms <laughs> off. Promo glasses canceled. <laughs> uh, any thoughts on this? Have you ever seen this uh, this dog lesson? <laughs> I don't know what to. I I I can liken it to something that I've seen before. In that it's this is so hard to explain because it's fucking crazy. But it's the environment that they they have had at various points, whether they would get announcers, like let's say they were auditioning an announcer and not just a play-by-play -play guy, but somebody to do the, what they used to call it, the slam jam inserts, the stand-ups where they, when they would give the local cards when the they still center. did such a thing, the event centers, pre-tape a show host. You know, the Todd Pettingill kind of role for people from the 90s, the, you know, and they would, when they would, they did this to Heyman, remember? We've talked about he had the ponytail and they made him do something where he was pulling his ponytail and crowing or hooting or something. They, I think, I don't know whether Vince got it from Kevin Dunn or Kevin Dunn got it from Vince. I've seen both of them do it. But that means they, they got it from someone else. They probably got it from Dick Ebersol or something. Okay, well, as somebody in, in real television and real entertainment, this is some fucking hokey bullshit that they do in acting class or whatever. But when they would audition the announcer or they would audition a wrestler and have him, you know, cutting a promo, they would come up with some off-the-wall bullshit. Instead of you just doing your shit that you do, or instead of the announcer just saying, hi, I'm Jim Cornette, and I've been a professional wrestling announcer for so and so long, and I can do this, and I can call that, or whatever. They would hand you like a goddamn lamp and say, sell me this lamp. 
And then it's, I guess it's one of these workshop exercises where you're then exposed to extol the virtues of this lamp and tell everybody how great the lamp is and that they should either buy the lamp or they should own one of these lamps or go into the lamp's backstory and make some shit up to apparently see if you're glib or articulate or whatever or how you look on camera, especially in an awkward situation which I always thought was the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. But that's what, so maybe Vince decided one day, as Vince is wont to do, that he heard lackluster promos, and those aren't hard to find, and he decided, oh, I'm going to get these guys in here, and then he'll give directions where you t- to be dogs. Well, of course they come up, arf, arf. Maybe to be dogs, he meant that they were supposed to be have animosity, or they were supposed to be vicious, or they were you know, something in his mind that the instruction he gave translated to a normal, sane person exactly what they should do, and they didn't have any fucking idea. Does that make any sense to you, just from the way I've described this? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Growling dogs, just growling dogs, and then they growl like dogs, yeah. and he ah fire. Yeah, I, I mean, you don't, you don't know. You don't know what the fuck these people are are talking about. It's fucking stupid. And that's why, you know, fortunately, I did not ever have to. I did an audition for the Slam Jams uh, one time. I didn't have to sell them a fucking lamp or a tube of toothpaste or whatever. Um, but remember I filled in, I told this story a while back. I filled in for Michael Hayes when he was Doc Hendricks. And the worst part of it was walking down the goddamn stairs on the set while you're talking and trying to watch the goddamn look at the camera while you're walking down these stairs. I'm like, why do I have to walk down the fucking stairs? Is are we going to sell any more tickets to this fucking live event? Cause I'm walking down the stairs while I'm telling them what they're going to see. Or if I was just standing at the bottom, like a normal motherfucker. I didn't do any more fucking live events, but I never had to sell a tube of toothpaste. But that's that's what they'll do. Um, and with you know, with wrestling, a, a wrestling manager, which is, I don't know when they first brought Heyman up there, whether they were trying him out to manage or to be an announcer because he had done color in WCW. But you know, you're a wrestling manager, so sell me a fucking brick. Fuck you. More of their entertainment-style shit that they get into up there. You sent me the clip of Vince McMahon and Austin Theory on Raw. And everybody remembers that as soon as I saw Austin Theory in NXT, I said, my God, this guy is a future superstar. I'm not talking about it. I don't know what they'll do with him with his booking. But at his age, he's what? He's early 20s. He's got the size, he's got the the physique. He's an amazing, natural worker to me. When I watch him, he's picked up the little things, not only basics, but I'm talking about things you can't teach, just natural reactions and the little little things that go on in the ring with a really natural worker. I think he's got everything, right? He just needs to get bigger and blossom. So naturally... The only thing worse than Vince not seeing anything in him, apparently, is Vince seeing something in him. 
Because now on Raw, he's been taken under Vince's way. He was the guy that stole the $100 million golden egg. My egg. Ugh. My egg, yes. Uh, and then brought it back with basically no punitive measures after Vince was ready to eviscerate whoever had stolen it, but he took it because he wanted a, a selfie with it. So now Vince likes his spunk. I like her spunk, kid. Say it for me. Spunk on my egg. <sighs> um, and so now he's doing recurring things with Vince, which it, it, and I, I saw this clip. Austin Theory is doing everything he can with what he's being given to work with, but basically he's sitting there and having to react to things Vince is saying rather than uh, saying his own shit. Uh, and therein lies the problem is he's just standing there, he's sitting there at the desk with Vince, uh, nodding up and down when Vince does what you're doing. Uh, yeah, I'll say, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like, he just, I, and he's slouched over. I mean, I'll let you keep going. You well, actually, <laughs> well, I just, you know, I just, that's the thing is that what, you're imperson. I don't know whether you're doing an impersonation of Vince or whether Vince was doing an impersonation of you doing an impersonation of Vince or whatever, but you sound clearer than he does. Yeah, you know it's a, a pencil. Yeah, a pencil. Yeah, you know a pencil. And the whole subject matter of this was Vince basically saying, I'm going to show you, Austin Theory, although not nearly this clear. The most dangerous weapon in the world, and he pulls a pencil out of his fucking desk drawer, and he says, not this end, the point, but this end, the eraser, the old eraser, the the booker has the pencil, and the pencil has the eraser. It's an inside wrestling joke that's 75 years old, but the, the performance of this is what we got to talk about, and I'm not trying to make fun of Vince, because now this is sad. Uh, because. I know everybody has to age and everybody has to get older and I am too. And that's another reason why I can't do the shit I used to do, which is another reason why I'm not trying to do it. But this is sad because Vince used to be the guy with the booming voice, the authoritarian stentorian tones, the, the projection you could hear. Vince, when when he was walking down the hall in Titan Tower with anybody with him, he was still working. He was having a walking meeting. And if you were in your office, you know, 50 feet down the hallway, you could tell that Vince was at the elevator because you could <laughs> hear it, pal. Hey, pal. <laughs> yeah, we're going to put this in. Hey, how you doing there, chief? How you doing, strongbow? Whatever. it, You know, and he was a pronunciation freak to the point where if you said WWF, he would, if he was anywhere around, he would go ballistic. If you go back in the, especially in the early and mid nineties, when, when JR came in and I came in and Lawler came in, the, probably the only thing that none of us had a Southern accent on until JR had his Bell's palsy was the phrase WWF. Because he would make you stop and do it again if it if it wasn't live. If you said W instead of W, it's W, w not W W F. But now I, I hate can't. George W. Bush. It's W. 
I, I can't understand what Vince is saying. And I had to watch this twice to pick it all up. And it's not only is, is he not projecting, but you can tell he, as you mentioned, he's kind of stooped over, but he just doesn't have the, the force behind his words. He doesn't have the surety, the assuredness behind his, what he's going to say. He's kind of mumbling around about it. He knows in his mind what he's trying to do. I'm pretty sure, but it's not coming out like the old Vince. And, you know, it's, it's, it, a lot of people that are, is there any new WWE fans? Are they all just flooding away or are some coming in? Anybody that sees Vince over the last year or two, maybe, and any time in the future is going to wonder for the first time, they're going to wonder, well, this is the Vince McMahon I've heard all about. Well, he's just, I mean, there's no, there's no force there. There's no life there. He's trying to tell this story that he gets, but, other people ain't getting it, and and it's it's not good. I don't think, and and, and I'm not taking pleasure in saying that, but you know, at some point, please, Vince, you've got all the money, all the property, all the go. Put your feet up, relax, have somebody else do something. You know, it's just it's sad at this point. Yeah, and. You know, beyond the way he appears and the way he sounds, he's lost his ability, at least to me, to be captivating. It's more of a freak show. I'm watching it like I can't believe this is Vince McMahon. I, won't, I can't believe he allows himself to be seen like this on TV. His posture, his makeup. I don't know what has happened to his face. Oh. But it looks like he visited Madonna's plastic surgeon. He looks weird. You can't understand what he's saying. And it takes him longer to do what it used to take him a shorter period of time to do. It it feels like yes, in the that, yes, that's it. It's just it's not coming out. It's dragging. It's and you you mentioned the word captivating. Regardless of what Vince was doing, even if it was preposterous in the Attitude Era when he was on television and he was talking, you were listening to what he was saying and you were following it and you wanted to hear the rest of it. I think that's fair to say because those were the. He was one of the biggest stars on the television program when it had the biggest ratings it's ever had. So at he was captivating at that. This is not captivating. It's it's like, I mean, did you ever see the South Park where they brought Rod Stewart out for the concert and they wheeled him out in a fucking wheelchair because he was 90 years old? And hey. No, but he re- Vince is starting to remind me of Sumner Redstone. I don't know if you know Sumner Redstone. You must yes. know Yes. When he yes. would eventually his hair turned orange and he was getting wheeled around everywhere. And it's just everyone knows it's over, but he's still running the company for no good reason. And then his daughter takes over. But I mean, we'll see what happens in this case. But. Well, it, but it may be questionable now to whether it's right. going to be the daughter or the uh, the adopted son, Nick Khan. Yeah, or the Rocks buddy. We'll see what happens. But <laughs> with all we're saying about this, it's not a good position to be put in, I wouldn't think. But I'll give Austin Theory credit. I think he's doing as good a job as you could do in this situation. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, you just have to sit there and, and nod and, and throw in the line every once in a while that you're being told to say. But at, hopefully his... In-ring talents will carry the day here, and at least if 
If Vince wants to interact with him on screen, that means they want to push him. That means they see that there's something there, and that's yeah. that's a positive step so far. Let Once me see you behave like a dog, like a rabid dog. <laughs> no, goddammit! Don't bark! We got a few questions, naturally, as we have the last several weeks about Vince McMahon. Oh, boy. Before we get to any of these, have you caught up at all? Have you seen any of the latest installments of the... I guess the WWE version of Tuesdays with Maury, <laughs> Vince McMahon and Austin Theory. You know, we said here a couple of weeks ago, the only thing worse than Vince not seeing anything in you is Vince seeing something in you. Because now Austin Theory, my boy, what have they done to my boy? I said, this guy is incredible. What a prospect. He's got the body. He's got the, 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 the look. He's got the size. He, he can work. The little things. It's I would have loved having this guy in OVW. I would have pushed him to the moon because he's got all the little things that you either can't teach or sometimes it takes forever to teach. So naturally, they took him from NXT, rescued him from the same face family, Johnny and Mrs. Same Face. Now he's on Raw, but he has become Vince McMahon's pet project, who apparently from these vignettes... Vince is trying to teach him to have the killer instinct and go out and make something of himself. And Vince is threatening him with the pencil and the noted eraser. And there was another backstage vignette interaction with Vince and Austin Theory on Raw this just last night, Monday night. And I watched this this clip. And again, there's Austin Theory trying to do the best he can with what he's being told to do, but basically it amounts to nodding up and down and going, uh-huh, and yes, sir, and and taking selfies of himself with things and people. But Vince was mad at him in this clip because apparently he had been defeated by Finn Balor in a match earlier in the show. And then after that, wouldn't you know, it's not just an epidemic, Brian, in AEW or in some of the outlaw promotions, but it's it's the WWE as well. It's the entire world of wrestling. There's Finn Balor doing an interview back in the back of the building. And here comes Austin Theory and tackles him. At least he got about 30 seconds out, though, not like an AEW where they can't speak at all before they get attacked. Balor got about 30 seconds out. And then here comes Austin Theory and beats him up and runs him into the equipment cases. And, of course, immediately the announcer just backs up and becomes a mute, doesn't scream, oh, my God, help, or anything, just gets out of the shot, and all the damage is done. And then, at least at the end, quality control in the WWE, they run in one referee and... I think, who was it that was standing around? Somebody else in a suit to say, get the heck out of here. And then he goes, Austin Theory goes into Vince's office to tell him what he's done. Hey, even though I lost the match, that was a cold-blooded, ruthless attack that I just made on Finn Balor. And Vince says, yeah, but even though, and this is a quote from Vince, even though you beat as we might say, the chocolate pudding out of him. <laughs> so over on AEW, they're saying shit, shit, shitty McShit shit, shit face, shit head, beat the shit out of your piece of shit, 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 shit. 
And over in WWE land, Vince says you beat the chocolate pudding out of it. Suffering succotash. And then he says, but I should, I should. And I'm, by the way, he's not saying it with this much oomph and power and projection and clarity. He said he ought to fire Austin Theory because he loves firing people before the holidays. It makes him feel good, like he just had a good meal, gives him a warrant. They're doing a parody of what people used to believe was the real Mr. McMahon because Vince was so good at being Mr. McMahon that people had those thoughts and now they're parodying people who are probably writers who were children when he was. Mr. McMahon are now parodying, you know, Vince to where he's Ebenezer Scrooge and Bah Humbug, and it's a whole, and I'm sure he loves it too, because, ah, it's great shit, pal. But the clip that I saw, Brian, besides the fact that he brought the pencil out again, and he, he Vince tried to, to tear a piece of his legal pad off, and he tore it in half. Instead, he couldn't tear the whole page off of the legal pad. It looked like Bobby Heenan doing the the old phone book tear stunt where he would tear three pages and put it down like he was satisfied. No, you know what it looks like? I swear to God. It looks like he's a fucking Muppet. It looks like <laughs> the Vince head, the weird Vince head, it's like one piece. And then someone else is working the hands because yeah. he's always sitting and he's hunched over. So there's like a torso. And then there's just crazy hands going all over the place. The hands are going everywhere. I think it's Frank Oz working the hands. <laughs> and someone else is working the Vince head. It looks nuts. It looks like someone else is doing his hands. <laughs> but who's the who's the one that had to stick their hand up Vince's ass then is what I want to. But anyway, Bruce. he's got the paper. It was Bruce, Bruce of course. Yeah. Well, he, Bruce <laughs> been able to get his hand up Vince's ass. Or his head is so big and it's locked <laughs> there. So Vince scratches uh, something he's written with a pencil. He erases it and then holds the paper up and blows the eraser shavings in Austin Theory's face. But here's what I was going for with what I was about to tell you was I saw this clip. It was sent to me. and Apparently it was on YouTube, right? This wasn't a clip directly off. The, well, I, I don't know where it was directly off. Of, but the point is. Without me doing it, the closed captioning for the hearing impaired was on on this clip. And from the time it it had the announcer that asked Finn Balor the question and it had Finn Balor's response and then you see the attack and then it goes into Vince's office and you see him talking to Theory and then it started having some trouble (laughs) because... As we've mentioned, yes, Vince is, he's, he's, it's some of it's under his breath and, and they were piping the crowd noise in really loud in this anyway. Really loud. What the hell was that? Yeah. I've been in Vince's office. He doesn't have a studio audience in the office, right? So they were piping the noise from the arena into this as some kind of background, but what it, it made it hard to hear Austin theory. But it made it almost impossible to understand Vince because he's not projecting. He's got the, the gruff voice now, and it's under. So I'm watching as I'm as I'm watching Vince trying to get these things out. My eyes are drawn to closed captioning, 
and the closed captioning is not able to figure out what Vince is saying. Anyway. <laughs> and one of the closed captioning statements was when Vince was first starting to read Austin theory out about maybe he made a bad decision in seeing something in Austin theory. He said, I didn't get to be a billionaire by making stupid business decisions, but the closed captioning plain as day said, I got to be a billionaire by making stupid decisions. (laughs) Well, that's actually true. (laughs) (laughs) And then he starts going further. And all of a sudden the closed captioning while Vince is mumbling disappears. And then, <laughs> then just one word pops up inaudible. <laughs> <laughs> oh my it's God. A, that's so funny. <laughs> it's a pre-tape in an office. These guys, they're mic'd. It's a professional television production, <laughs> but yet the closed captioning is reading it as the same thing as a fucking radio message from the space shuttle in outer space inaudible or some kind of police Ah. surveillance video of the mob inaudible inaudible so that was (sighs) poor austin theory (laughs) by the way you know we get people that ask us why does travis's drawings of current vince look like he has lipstick on because he looks like he's got lipstick on to which i would say what the hell was going on here and that yes. side shot of him, he looks completely nuts. He looks like he was built in Jim Henson's fucking creature studio. <laughs> he really fucking does. You know, there were Muppets and then there were creatures that Jim Henson would build. He doesn't even look real. Uh, I think if he was if he was silly putty or Play-Doh, don't get him too close to a fucking heat source or he might start melting. But that would, yeah, I mean, it just... I, just don't know what's it i just wish and we talked about this last week on the show that that he if, i wish he would just take time off retire put his feet up at least don't he's not a television personality anymore and since he was one of the absolute best ever it's disheartening now that people are going to see younger people are going to see him now and say, this is the Vince McMahon that we've heard about that was so commanding. And as you mentioned, captivating or whatever, it's, it's, I just, it's sad now. And I hate to see that. And I wish there was somebody that could tell him honestly, or had the balls to, whether he agreed with him or not, that would go to him and say, Vince, you shouldn't be on TV anymore. But nobody's going to do that. And, well, what does Stephanie do anymore in that company? Do we know? They gave her another, I think they shifted her position to another position recently. She was chief brand officer for a while, which. Well, well, she shifted her position to another position. You mean she went from doggy style to reverse cowgirl? That's what are you not what I meant here? in any possible way. I meant she went from, you know, I don't even know if it's senior VP, EVP, but head of this department to just do this now. And she was doing something else, I think. You Although it was think- all, it's all basically the same. It's just Stephanie needs a job. Let's keep her doing something. She's good at talking to people who know nothing about wrestling. She's incredible at that. Like if well, you knew you had you an auditorium be- filled with people who know nothing about wrestling, send yeah. her to talk to them. Best person in the world. 
Yes. So you would think she would be the one to talk to Vince and say, Vince, come on. It's, you know, I don't know. Thank you, Mula. I uh, (laughs) have no idea who she is. Excellent question, Wendy. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get another uh, question about Vince here on the show. This one was sent to CourtneyDriveThru at gmail.com from Mike Paul. With Jim always being one of the most knowledgeable guys in the business, I'm curious if he has any examples of things that he may have learned or absorbed from Vince while working with him, whether it be on booking, psychology, commentary, anything. We always heard the boys refer to Vince as a genius. And with him feeling like a completely different person now in his later years, I'd be interested in hearing some examples. Another side question to add on top of that, people often said that Vince's genius wasn't in coming up with an idea, it was in making the perfect tweaks to an already existing idea. Any examples of this from Jim? Oh, God. Well, it may not even have been making the perfect tweaks to an existing idea, although he was good at that, but also just which idea to pick to begin with in a lot of cases and or more importantly, I mean, when he would swing for the fences on this, he could either pick the absolute best person to do something with, or he would swing for the fences and strike out with trying something with warrior over and over or whatever. Right. I've mentioned some of the things that I learned from Vince as far as television production and formatting. And we talked about keeping a thread with your main event guys throughout the show to keep the people's interest because they always know that there's something coming up involving somebody they want to see. Vince was Vince was great at getting talent over because he would if he decided he was going to push them, he would push them to the fucking moon and he'd push them right. Now, none of this maybe applies to modern day because I don't know what's going on there these days. But look at who, and in some cases what, Vince was able to get over successfully even for a short period of time in his company at various points that you would have thought, holy shit, this ain't never going to work. Because he could, when he picked and decided that he was going to run with a guy, he wouldn't do it halfway. He would he would give it not just in putting them over in finishes, but in promos and in every other way. Getting you know, I know it didn't work, but goddamn you you can't tell me that the Lex Express and the whole Lex Luger push with with almost anybody else wouldn't have worked. And it did work with Lex there for a brief period of time. If he'd have won at SummerSlam, they probably got something out of him short term. But that's when he decided he would do something, he would go all the way with it. He wasn't going to give somebody a little push, and he wasn't going to be a little bit pregnant. It was all or nothing. Vince was never good with finishes. Vince, I, I don't know that I remember Vince ever coming up with a finish to a match. But that's that's different than who goes over. In In those days also, he was focused on, and you can still see, I don't know if it's him now or just people that, learn from him, but you can still see that with Roman Reigns. He's not going to do any fucking bullshit jobs like like that he would be if he was anybody else on the card and the, just the regular comedy writers were in charge because they don't know that winning matters to begin with. Uh, but 
you can still tell at the top of his card with guys like that, you know, he's not going to have guys doing bullshit jobs, even if they have to mow down some of the baby faces. You know, there it just, Vince had so much more assuredness to him then. And you talked about him being a captivating TV personality, but he was, when he walked in the room, you knew he was there and you looked at that guy like, well, fuck, he may be crazy as a rainbow trout in a car wash, but he owns this whole thing and he's got here for a reason and he can he commands respect and deference and you'll, you'll follow this guy because even if he's leading you over a cliff, he is absolutely goddamn sure that that's the right cliff to go over. It's just a commanding personality that I think they're still all expecting him to have, but he doesn't have it anymore. And the new guys have never seen that Vince and the new writers have never met that Vince. And now everybody's running like, well, we need to act like it's still like it was in the old days. But meanwhile, Vince isn't the Vince of 20 years ago, and he don't have Pat Patterson. He don't have Jerry Briscoe. He don't have Jim Ross. He don't have Jim Cornette for whatever that was worth. He don't have Steve Austin and Mankind and The Undertaker and guys that started in the territories that were fucking expert at at wrestling and its psychology. And we're going to try to act like we're doing all those things that we did then, but now it's a completely different company and we're just running off a variety of cliffs in every different direction. It's just different. Well, there it is. Another Jim Cornette omnibus edition. This one on Vince McMahon. Any final closing words here about Vince McMahon? And of course here Christmas time, any words to the listeners, Jim? What more can be said? Merry Christmas to everyone listening. Thank you for listening throughout the year, and we'll be back with the drive-thru in a few days and another omnibus very, very soon. Make sure you check in with the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. There may be some more omnibuses going up on there, too. But until next time, for Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Happy holidays to all. Tell you! Ho, 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 everybody. It's still my show, motherfucker.